You're listening to a special episode of the Inconvenience Podcast featuring Al and Frank. This is a very special day. It's 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 like Christmas or Easter. It's it's our tenth episode, and we're only going to have one tenth episode. So it's extraordinarily special, is it not? Man, ten episodes already. This has gone by rather quickly. It has, hasn't it? But you know, I I, I always like to start out with, especially right now, Frank. How is your pandemic going? <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, all things considered, it, it's really not that bad. This could be so much worse. Um, I mean, as some of the listeners might know, uh, so I got married toward the end of last year. My wife and I were planning this month, actually, to go to Japan for two weeks on a honeymoon. And as you might imagine, uh, won't be going to Japan. Um, <laughs> so haven't really put any plans in place around that. We might just get an Airbnb for, I don't know, a week, week, week and a half in North or South Dakota in the middle of nowhere or something. So we're not around anyone. We're just feeling kind of shut in. Um, she's working from home now. I've worked from home for the last three years. Um, so that's kind of common for me. But um, yeah, all things considered, it could be much worse. We have a nice balcony. We've been enjoying that. Um, haven't really walked in a store uh, since early March. Uh, I think I'm going to need a road trip when this is all said and done. Oh, man, no doubt. No doubt. You know, well, I've been working from home, uh, producing TV from home, which is weird. I was hoping my wife would work at home, but because she works in the hospital, we could not get the patients over here to our house. Uh, so unfortunately, she is actually having to go to the hospital to work to heal people over there. Uh, but, uh, you know, Doran, if we'd have bought, if we'd have had that extra bedroom, uh, and I have a bunch of patients upstairs right now, uh, and they'd be doing just fine because they would have had flaky biscuits this morning for breakfast. <laughs> I... You know, honestly, this whole pandemic thing has just been so strange, though. Um, you know, for anyone listening, my state is one of the few that does not have a stay-at-home order and will apparently never have one. Um, it's it's just been it's been weird. You know, I saw a video the other day on Facebook. Uh, we have this park north of Des Moines that's really beautiful, uh, state park, and th- it was probably busier than it's ever been, at least from what I could tell on this video. I, I mean, people were packed in this place. Kids running around, people in close proximity to each other. And, you know, it's like my wife and I, a couple weeks ago, um, when the weather started getting better, we decided we're going to go for a bike ride. Um, I like cycling. I got her into it last year. And we live right on a bike trail in West Des Moines, Iowa. Um, Thought we'd just use, you know, the trail by our place. And it was so busy, we felt uncomfortable. It honestly reminded me of when Pokemon Go came out because... There's this this uh, lake that I like to run around. Just one of my favorite places to run. And I went there the night Pokemon Go came out, and something felt off. I was like, first off, it was like a Sunday night, and I was like, there's too many people here. And then it looked like people who never go to a running trail. Um, and I'm not being mean. You can just tell little subtle cues on the type of clothes people wear, behaviors. And everyone's head was turned down. Then I remembered, oh, right, Pokemon Go came out today. That's what this felt like. Most of the people that, that are outside are people who don't go outside. Um, and so we started just going further away where there's nobody. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I just don't really want to be around people right now. 
Well, you know, it's, uh, I, of course, I live in Louisiana. I live, uh, a tip, stereotypically, I live on a river in South Louisiana where alligators will eat your dogs here. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm 20 miles as the crow flies from the Gulf of Mexico. So here in Louisiana, things are a bit different. We, we had a lot of cases. And I think per capita at one point, we were second only to New York. And so we've had everything shut down. And Friday, this, you know, day before yesterday, uh, Friday, May 1st, uh, the governor uh, allowed uh, restaurants to serve people outdoors. Uh, the tables have to be about 10 feet apart. And so that's that's kind of different for us. We've been extraordinarily cautious here. Uh, but now we're sort of opening up just a little bit. It's just outdoors and it has to be served on. Uh, it's, it's basically to go. Everything's uh, a to go type of uh, you know, plates and things like that, but you can, you can sit there on the property and eat it if you wish. Oh, that's, that's that's our big thing. Yeah. That's kind of different. We, so Friday, um, we opened up 77 of the 99 counties, most of the way. Um, now my County is not open, but, (laughs) and here's a weird thing. So the County North of us, uh, that has Ames, Iowa is open. Ames is a big college town. That's where Iowa State University is. And I don't know, I guess for the life of me, I, I can't imagine why college students should be going to bowling alleys and uh, malls and all these other businesses right now during a global pandemic. In fact, the day that this officially reopened in 77 counties is when we had the highest number of recorded cases so far. Oh, wow. um, it was only surpassed by the following day, which... It's kind of concerning. And look, I guess one of the things that concerns me about this, like I'm fully aware of the fact that I work in an industry that has a lot of people working in stores right now. But I'm very impressed with how convenience retail as a whole has dealt with this. They were quick they were quick to respond. Companies like Come and Go here in Des Moines, for example, gave a pay bump to their frontline employees. They right. put a lot of measures in place at the store level to help protect them and customers. Quite honestly, I think a lot of convenience retailers have managed us exceedingly well. So what worries me, though, are some of these businesses that are reopening. They they haven't taken the time to do a lot of that, I would expect. They haven't worked through some of the challenges. They they weren't they you know, they were shut down early on. So the idea that they're going to suddenly pivot in a few days and open up, um, I don't know, I'd feel. I'd feel a lot less safe going to a pl- some of those places um, than maybe the local gas station, to, to, to be quite honest. Well, I, I totally agree. I, I got to tell you, I uh, and I'm, I'm working on a story for Nax about what some of the gas stations are doing during the pandemic. But, uh, you know, you and I both been to ShopRite, Bourbon Street Deli down here. Uh, they're 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 just doing everything right, I think. And they're. Uh, and we'll we'll probably get into that a little more later during the show. But gosh, Dorn, I mean, um, I, I think they're hitting every mark they need to hit, uh, both with employees and customers, and and with an abundance of caution. And again, Louisiana, <clears throat> we've kind of been shut down. So uh, Friday was our first day to to you know be able to eat on the property, and I didn't see a lot of people out there, but I have heard. Uh, that some places, uh, some restaurants had a bunch of people, some did not. So I think part of it is just people hadn't gotten the word. But it's going to be interesting to see how this whole thing pans out. Uh, and if we if we see a spike in cases in a couple of weeks or not, I uh, there's a lot of unknowns. A lot of unknowns. Yeah, I, 
you know, you raise a good point. And I think one thing people need to get in the habit of doing during this is just saying the words, I don't know enough about this to have exactly an informed opinion. And that's okay. Um, there are very few people, I would imagine, who are really capable of understanding the full scope of what we're dealing with right now. Um, we're all trying to figure this out, and it's okay. And I, I think at the same time, we also need to cut people some slack, even if we disagree with their viewpoints. Because, um, look, I mean, everyone's trying to figure this out. And it, it's just unfortunate that I feel uh, this has become an incredibly polarized topic. And we're allowing outliers to determine the course of the conversation. It's like these people protesting these stay-at-home orders uh, that we see on the news. Look, those people are morons. Those are not your average person that is looking at the numbers and asking questions um, or having a little bit of a contrarian point of view. Um, those are just morons. Those are idiots. Um, that's all there is to say about that. Uh, but... I don't know. It's this 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 whole thing has gotten incredibly polarized, and I think we just need to cut everybody some slack. And uh, well, uh, I, I agree, Frank, yeah. and I think a lot of people out there. Look, I I get it. You know, your business is closed. You're suffering economically. Uh, right here, you know, here in Louisiana, uh, our economy in South Louisiana is totally related on uh, on the oil business, which is I think what negative thirty four bucks a gallon or something like that. So we're not only dealing with the misery of the pandemic, the, the, everybody's business is suffering, but when everybody comes out of this, we're still going to be in a lot of trouble economically down here. Uh, and that's, that's going to be a terrible thing to deal with as well. So we're all worried about that, you know? Um, but since this is our 10th episode, uh, we could talk about, uh, let's talk about you and me. Uh, cause you know, I was thinking, uh, you know, we're two guys who have never worked in the convenience store industry before yet, I have to say, I think we may know more about this business than a lot of people who've who've been in it for a while because, you know, I know you travel around the world. I fear flying, so I, I, I drive up to uh, the front of businesses and walk in and, you know, eat crazy food and things like that. But through the years, you and I have gained an awful lot of knowledge about, uh, I guess, the I, I think you and I are kind of prof- we're sort of professional customers, I think. We go in and, you know, we want to eat the food. We want to talk to the employees. And then, of course, we like to go to the restroom and take photos, which, of course, we, we risk being arrested taking photos in public restrooms. Uh, but I, th- I think that uh, we're a couple of guys who have this weird, weird passion for uh, a really great industry. Uh, and I don't think you find people like us who haven't worked in it before who all of a sudden go, Wow, you know, I could be playing golf, but I'm going to go to the gas station and eat a sandwich instead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking the other day, it's like, all right, how was it that we actually met? And I think this is what it was. It was shortly after I started at Gas Buddy. Um, and I think it was someone over at Nax that might have said, hey, you should reach out to this guy. And I think I sent you an email. You were just on their podcast, I think. It might have been slightly after that. And... um so reached out, set up a phone call, and I remember we ended up talking for like two hours on the phone. Um, <laughs> I remember because I'm pretty sure I was driving, and I stopped 
think to go inside an REI maybe. <laughs> and, and we ended up being on the phone for like another hour. And I was like, okay, this guy's interesting. Like we clearly have some similar interest here. And so we had stayed in touch. And I remember it was before the 2017 NAC show. Uh, you were speaking there. I, that was my second year speaking there. And I was like, wait, I'm looking at how far it is. I knew you lived down by by New Orleans. I didn't realize it was a few hours away, but I was like, all right, I know the area. And I'm like, wait a second, we could literally just drive up there. So we pitched, yeah, I think I just pitched the idea and I burned some airline points, flew down to New Orleans. You picked me up in the van and, and we just yeah. drove up to Chicago. <laughs> oh man, that was miles. great. That was great. I mean, we, we've, uh, I think we bring something kind of unique to the table, both of us in that, uh, we're, we're sort of untainted by having actually been in the industry. And I think that uh, we, we, and I go back to that, we're, we're sort of the professional customer. We go in uh, to a place, we're wide-eyed, we're, we're hoping for the best experience, and, uh, and then we end up uh, writing about it or talking about it. And, uh, so, so, Frank, how in the world did you get interested in this business? Oh, man. Okay. This will be a bit of a long story. But, you know, look, the thing is, um, a lot of this, really, all this just came out of the whole 30 days for gas station food experiment. But I've got to provide some context around that. Because look, I mean, eating gas station food for a month is not normal behavior. And it's probably worth explaining why I did that and how that came about. So um, I mean, look, the easiest way to start with that is, I was at a point in my life where I was working a job that I absolutely hated. Um, not to say that it was a horrible job or anything. It just, it's a really tough pill to swallow when you feel like you're stuck doing something that you're more capable of or that you're more capable than, and uh, you just know that you can do better. Um, it was really tough for me. So I'll go back a little bit. So I graduated college in 2008. Lovely time in the world. Um, and I'm being very sarcastic, obviously. It was a horrible time. Um, now, my original plan was to go to law school. Um, after four years of undergrad, I was a little burned out, and I thought I needed a break. So I applied for a job at this company called uh, uh, Teach for America, and or I was recruited into it. I didn't know it was a hard thing to get into until I got to my final interview. Um, ended up getting into it. I think I was like one of two people from my school that year. And went to teach in Kansas City. Um, Kansas City's a pretty rough area. I'm from Des Moines, Iowa, so I'm pretty familiar with Kansas City. And spent a couple years doing that. Make, uh, taught in, at the time, I think it was the lowest performing school, according to state test results. Um, that wasn't your fault, correct? No, no, that was not my fault. In fact, okay. uh, I got some kids in the Greater Kansas City Science Fair my second year. Awesome. And they were the only ones from my entire school district who got in. Um, which I couldn't believe. I'm like, here we are in the biggest school district in the city. And my two boys are the only ones that are in the science fair. And they cleaned house. I was so proud of them. There uh, you go, man. <laughs> they were, they just killed. I, I'd worked for some low performing companies, but, but they were performing low. It was pretty much my fault. So it's good to know. Yeah. You're yeah. Good, so, <laughs> so, you know, I got done with that. Um, <clears throat> and I guess, I guess I was hoping the economy would have been a little better after two years and it wasn't. Um, it was still terrible. And all the friends that I had who were coming out of law school were saying things like, man, don't go. It's a debt trap. There's no jobs. 
And so I'm sitting here looking at this and I'm like, wait, I'm going to take out well over a hundred thousand dollars or more in debt. That's non-dischargeable to go get a degree in something that doesn't provide much certainty. And I'm like, all right, um, do I have any connections in that field? Am I really that passionate about it? Like, these are the questions you need to start asking yourself in a situation like that. And just came back. No, it just sounded like a good thing to do for another, for someone who think who would like to think he's at least halfway intelligent. So again, I, I've been struck by this idea that telling an 18 year old to pl- chart out the rest of their life is kind of a silly thing when you look back at it. Um, you know, it's like these people that have college bumper stickers or window stickers. I'm like, man, you're hung up over where you went to school at 18 years old still today. You're an adult, man. Take that off your car. But it's kind of weird to think that um, an 18-year-old is going to plan out decades and decades of their lives and have a full understanding of it. I didn't have a full understanding of it. So I just looked at the situation and thought, man, I'm not going to go. It's too risky. Um, but what do you do now? Well, I'm a dude that's got a political science and history degree, and employers couldn't care less about that. So I ended up I ended up moving back home with my parents. Um, you know, moved back up from Kansas City, and I couldn't find I couldn't find work for like nine months. Um, make a very long story short, I <laughs> moved around a little bit after that. I spent some time working a bunch of random jobs, and um, ended up waiting tables for a while at a restaurant, which. I actually made more money doing that than teaching. Um, who would have thought that you 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 could make more money uh, serving food than teaching children? Uh, I think it says a lot about our country's priorities, but that's a whole other topic I don't want to get into right now. Um, and uh, yeah, I ended up taking a job, um, which uh, my cousin got me into, and I'm eternally grateful for him doing this. Um, changed my life in a lot of positive ways. Uh, climbing cell phone towers, and wow. For anyone who, most people probably don't notice these things are there. Um, I see them everywhere now, <laughs> just because I've worked on them. Oh, I didn't yeah. do I didn't do construction. I didn't do any of that. I did inspection work. So my job was, I would fly around the country. I'd take off on Monday. I'd come back Thursday night or Friday, and sometimes I'd go to the airport a couple times during the week. Um, there was one time, I think I, I think I flew six times in a week. Wow. Um, that's, yeah, it was pretty wild in and out, in and out, in and out constantly. Um, I mean, I still have airline points from this. Well, anyway, look, it got me out. It got me to travel a lot. I went all over the country. I mean, I've climbed an 1100 foot tower at at one o'clock in the morning outside of green Bay overlooking the city. Um, I've been on a tower where I'm 800 feet up and I'm going down the ladder as quickly as I can because a thunderstorm's coming in and I don't want to get zapped um, because surprise, gigantic metal lightning rods do attract lightning. And uh, I've had some interesting experiences, had a lot of fun, but I wanted out of this. It didn't pay very much, um, offered no, no sort of future. You know, it was something I did because I didn't have anything else going for me. And I guess I just hit this point where I was like, I have to, I have to make my own thing. There's no other, there's no other path forward. I'd been trying to get on at a local energy company. Um, I'd taken all these tests, um, got all these certifications that I needed and they wouldn't hire me. Like I've been trying everything that I could do. So make a long story short, I started a personal website and I realized I needed to get an audience if I was going to do anything. 
And so I started building an audience with just some self-help writing, um, just stuff people would listen to. Because I used to be severely overweight. I lost lost over 80 pounds. Um, wow. And I held it off. So I thought, you know, that gave me something to write about. Yeah. Well, I had this one morning where <laughs> I was going to drive from Des Moines down to Kansas City to fly out of Kansas City because... Surprise, it's easier than Des Moines Airport with two baggage claims. And so I rented a car and was driving down there. And I, I kept hearing this, this, um, this rhetoric around eating on the go being part of the problem, you know, with regard to weight loss. Since that's a lot of what I was writing, and whenever you lose a lot of weight, you just happen to pay attention to conversations around weight loss. Um, I kept hearing, like, you know, eating on the go is a problem. Not so much, you know, in the Super Size Me, Morgan Spurlock style films, but you hear it at like family gatherings where someone lost a lot of weight one year and they come back really heavy. And you're like, just chatting with them. And what happened? Oh, I started going out to eat with my coworkers. Or, oh, I just can't shake fast food. You know, but the thing is, we never really question it when people say these things, but that's all just not true. That is so not true. I was eating, I was eating out every single day. In fact, I'd come home from working this job and have limited time. The last thing I want to do is cook suddenly because I wanted to get on my bike and go ride on the trails. And Des Moines got a lovely trail system as in a cycling club. We'd ride the roads. I didn't want to spend time cooking. So I thought, all right, I'm going to design an experiment to show people that this is all just BS. Like you can eat on the go and make healthy choices. And I thought, hey, why don't I spend the next week just eating in gas stations or something? So I figured I'd start that. Um, while I was driving down, I'm having this, this, you know, this going on in my head. And then I thought, hold on a second. I love extreme experiments. I love experimentation. Let's make this an entire month. Cause that'd be crazy. Right. And at the time I thought this is just going to be, this is going to be disaster. I'm just gonna eat cliff bars and I'm going to put on 10 pounds or something. Um, no, it's not at all what happened. Honestly, it went exceptionally well. I designed this whole experiment that worked really well. I was pretty methodical about it. The rule was this, if it's inside of a convenience store, I can eat it. So if I went to like a pilot flying J or loves and they had a quick service restaurant express concept in there, I mean, I, I could eat at that too. I, I tried not to rely on that too much, but you know, if that was there, I'd take advantage of it. If it was something that looked good. Um, basically that's the only rules. If it's inside a convenience store, it's fair game. And what was cool is the job. I never really knew where I was going every week. I'd, you know, I'd literally find out like three, three or four days before I book my next flight where I'm going and then just book them last minute. So that provided sort of variability to this that made it really exciting. You know, I couldn't just, I couldn't just uh, go work in an area that has a sheets and just eat there for a month. I mean, I could eat at sheets for a month really easily. That'd be no problem even now, but it wouldn't be too interesting from the, for the purposes of this experiment. Um, and so that's what I did. Uh, I think, gosh, trying to remember where all I went that month. I think I covered six or seven states. I'd have to go back and look. Um, wow. Visited over 200 stores. Didn't eat at all 200, but I went in a lot of them looking for vegetables. Um, if I knew what I did now, it would have been significantly easier. Um, but it actually went well. I checked my weight every week and ended up losing, I think it was, I think it was another six or seven pounds. Wow. And I was 163 pounds when I started. Um it's weird. I look back at photos and I was, I was almost too skinny. I, I don't know, but, um, but I was, I was in crazy good shape. I mean, I'd go climb the, sometimes I'd climb two or three towers a day. So I'd have thousand, 1200 feet, 
maybe a little bit more of up and down, um, depending on the size of the towers. I'd get back to a hotel uh, wherever my coworker and I were staying, and I'd go go run on the treadmill. Um, if there were no local trails, if there were local trails, I'd go run anywhere from three and a half to probably seven or eight miles. Um, and then I'd go do like 40 pull-ups in the gym at the hotel. Um, wow. I mean, I, I was in incredible shape. So that helped with a little bit of it. But um, yeah, so that's what got me into this. Now, here's the, here's the thing. And this is what a lot of people don't know about this story, folks that have heard this. All right. Now, this thing did get a lot of attention. Um, it was like a, I, I started posting it on Reddit's Lose It or Lose It. Um, for anyone, if anyone listening is, is like interested in losing weight, Seriously, the best community on the internet is Reddit's R Lose It. I've met people on there that I still follow online, still talk to occasionally. It's just a bunch of good people um, with very well-reasoned views on weight loss. No gimmicks, none of that. It's just people that are just trying to figure out how to eat a little bit better and how to exercise more. The point, What's great about it is when you go on there, it's people just like you. I actually went to it a lot when I lost weight uh, years ago. It's what helped me out considerably. So I thought, what a great place to live blog this. It blew up. It got so popular on there. And suddenly, within a couple days, I'm getting emails from people in the convenience store industry. First was a guy I've become friends with um, who runs an ad agency. And he reached out. I remember I was in this field by this like 500 foot tower and I get this phone, I get this phone call. (laughs) Um, I think he had reached out on my website. We were going to call each other. So I'm having this conversation while I'm taking a break from my other job. And he had a similar background with weight loss, a little different, but we started talking and then I got in touch with some other people and I started realizing I'm getting calls from people um, who are like really cool, interesting people with great jobs and, you know, work in this interesting industry that I'm suddenly getting immersed in. Um, I don't, I wanted out of this job more than anything. I mean, it was, it was a deep, deep passion to get out of this job. And so I didn't know what I'd stumbled upon here, but I wanted to see just how far this went. Um, one thing led to another and this individual had told me about the knack show and he said, we should make it your goal to speak there this year. Like, this is fascinating what you're doing. And so we'd talk semi-regularly and kind of strategize on maybe how this could happen. Um, Make a long story short, got done. Uh, I lost this weight. I like men's health had reached out. I was in an article on people.com. Uh, it's weird seeing your article trending next to an article about the, you know, vampires, the, car, the attention vampires, the Kardashians. Uh, uh, God, I, another thing about this pandemic, I hope they just go away after this. <laughs> Those people contribute nothing, nothing of value to anything. Uh, just worthless. Anyway, but it's kind of funny seeing, you know, something about gas station food next to an article about Kim's new bikini photos or something like anyone cares. Anyway, um, <laughs> so I'm waiting for your bikini photo to come out. You know, I I don't know if I should release those yet or not. I don't know if I'm ready. Um, it might it may be just what America needs during a pandemic. You know, maybe maybe that will bring everyone together. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's unifying. Um, it's unifying. Yeah. No. When I, no. When I was actively swimming, I did have a speedo, but that's because that was uh, better for slipping through the water. And I used to like doing triathlon stuff. And swimming's God, I suck at swimming. I'm great at running. I'm great at cycling. I suck at swimming anyway. Um, but so I get done with this and shortly after this experiment ended, 
I got a invite to go speak at an annual summit for Harbor Wholesale Foods up in the Pacific Northwest. Now that made me feel kind of cool. So I take vacation time off this job I'm at and I fly out to Washington, rent a car. Um, mutual friend at Nax had told me about Ken Couch's store, you know, our first podcast. Yeah, guest. yeah. So I stopped yeah. there on the way down, um, had a blast. I, he might have showed me his store for like two hours. You know, he's got like 40 craft beers on tap. Crowler system. This guy starts like sample after sample after sample. And I'm like, man, I got to drive back to this resort. Sends me back with some crowlers. Um, had a blast. I get to this resort. Super fancy place. Um no, there wasn't. Oh, Sun River, Sun River Resort. I still want to go back there. Um, if, when this is all said and done, it'd be a great place to go, assuming <laughs> hotels are still open. Um, but went there, had a great time, spoke and went really well. And I don't know. I, I started thinking, OK, I've got I've stumbled upon something. I don't know what it is, but I want out of this job like I have. There's no other way out of it. So. I think the next thing I would say is I did end up getting an invite to speak at the NAC show. And I was really excited about this. Um, I took like a week off work on vacation. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think I, yeah, flew down to, it was in Atlanta that year. And so it was a really weird thing because I got to the NAC show and I don't know if folks had read about this in NAC's Daily or I know I wrote an article for the magazine that won an award one year, but I think it might have come out in that issue. So I don't know if it was that one. Um, everyone I talked to somehow had heard about this. It's a really weird feeling to because I should probably preface it with this. The weird thing about the tower industry is you're like an invisible person. You you're always in airports. You travel all around the country but you're literally invisible. Like you do work that first off, no one notices these towers. The second thing is no one sees you. Like you're not really part of anything. You're just kind of floating around the country. Um, not really belonging anywhere. It's a really hard thing to explain. Um, and so it was weird to kind of go from being completely separated from everybody to going to an event with tens of, with like what, 20,000, 25,000 people. And I could walk up to someone at a, at, at a bar or a networking event, and they'd heard about this. It was really bizarre, um, really bizarre. So I ended up speaking, went well, was well attended. And this was actually kind of a hard time for me. I did not, this was a goal for, for months to get into this. So I got there and I got done. And, you know, as a lot of people know, when you've like accomplished a goal that you've been so highly focused on, and it's done, there's not the sense of exhilaration or the sense of, you know, accomplishment. It's just done. And it kind of, it's kind of a letdown, honestly. I was kind of hoping that something would come of this, that I would get there and it would somehow change my situation. And it was hard to fly home without that happening. So I got done with this. I felt kind of cool for a week. And I went back to traveling around and you know, inspecting cell phone towers and like disappearing into in just kind of disappearing into this job that no one ever notices that has like no future to it. And uh, that was a really hard thing for me to deal with. I'll be honest. I was I was actually really hardcore depressed for a few months after the 2016 next show. Oh, wow. Like bad. Um, and 
One thing that perked me up, though, so a person I met, because I spoke at a uh, kind of a private event there, too, um, like a private meeting, um, in addition to the thing that I, the panel that I was on. And uh, one of the guys that I met, who I've stayed in contact with ever since, I would consider a good personal friend of mine at this point, he wanted me to come speak at one of his company's meetings. Um, It was a small thing in Anaheim uh, that next January. So I went out and did it. And it was a really cool because, um, talking to this small group, I had this, I was struck by this weird sense that like this speaking, this is something I should be doing. I felt good at it. I felt prepared. I, I felt there's a kind of excitement when you have to go in front of people. That's kind of a scary excitement. And I somehow, I love that energy. It's, it's hard to describe. I, I just thrive on that energy. And so it was a great event. Made me, made me feel good. Um, but still, I was like, I don't quite see a way out of this. Well, a couple things happened. And I know the stories get long, but a couple things happened here. One is the company I was working for went out of business. Oh, man. <laughs> so it's funny. Um, like, Al, you can see me on video. The the desk lamp I have here, it's kind of funny. I was literally okay. walking out of Target with this desk lamp because I just built a new desk. My dad's got a huge woodworking shop. Took some old wood from a company he sold that was up in the rafters. And I made a really kind of cool desk out of it. Um, but I needed a new lamp. So I was coming out of Target with this lamp, and I get a phone call from the owner of the company. And, you know, to his credit, at least he called personally to explain that it went out of business instead of just sending an email or a letter or something. Oh. Um, and he seemed really uncomfortable doing that, but I don't know. Um, I kind of respect him for that. That was, uh, you know, that takes a lot of guts. So so I'm like, well, crap, all right. Um I mean, on one hand, I'm out of work suddenly, but at the other, on the other hand, I didn't like doing it anyway. So, you know, it's kind of kind of a weird situation. Um, but slightly before that, I had started having conversation with with Gas Buddy. A couple of folks from there had reached out while I was. We actually had a phone call while I was at the airport in Las Vegas, and I don't. To be honest, I don't remember all the details of it. Still, it's weird. Um, but it, I know they were interested in some sort of me helping out with a certain project. I think they were kind of feeling me out for information. Um, and I explained, I said, look, I'd love to help out with anything. Here's a problem. I work like 60, 70 hours a week. I'm pretty much sometimes more. I'm sometimes 80. I'm gone like all week. I don't know where I'm going from week to week. It's not, not a lot I can commit to. I just have all these things that are out of my control right now. Um, but I'd love to hear you out. So we thought we'd talk in a few months. So after this thing happened, I sent them an email. I was like, hey, um, kind of good news. I'm actually way more flexible now. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, a few months later, I ended up starting starting with them, uh, which was cool. And um, that's honestly how I got into this. It's, I'm sure I'm leaving some things out here, but it was a crazy thing. But here's something I started realizing. Um I you know, started to get to know some folks in the industry through this 30 days thing. And I remember talking with someone where I found out this individual hadn't gone to, um, hadn't gone to their competitors, uh, and looked at their, their stores in a very oh, long wow. time. Yeah. And that sounded weird to me. I was like, wait, the type of work this individual does, they would want to see what's happening in their competitor stores. And then it kind of dawned on me, well, Maybe they don't because they work long hours, nine to five, 10 to six, nine to six, whatever they're working. They've got kids. The last thing they want to do is go inside convenience stores. And then you see how events work. You go to events, 
you don't Uber out of the hotel and start visiting stores. You go to the bar, you go to the networking parties, you, you see people in the industry that you know, but you don't get to see very frequently um, at these events. So like when, when do people really get to just drive around and explore stores and see what other people have figured out? And that's when I started to realize I actually do have something of value here because I'd been in like literally thousands of stores all over the United States, um, even before 30 days. When, when you're on the go all the time in a job like that, you're not just driving along the interstates. You're driving through rural roads. You're stopping in hole-in-the-wall stations. Uh, you're, you're seeing everything that exists in the industry. And that's what I saw. And honestly, it gave me a really good understanding of what, what's, what people are figuring out. Um, so it gave me something to start with, I guess. But it's a long story. But, I mean, that's, that's honestly how I got into this. And... I very quickly, though, wanted to pivot away from the healthy food stuff. Um, look, I'm, I'm passionate about that topic. I think convenience stores have a serious untapped potential to help make the country healthier, which I, I could see some listeners probably looking at me weird right now saying that, like, wait, gas stations are going to make people healthier? Yes, hear me out. 93% of the country lives within 10 minutes of a fuel or convenience store. That is an insane level of proximity. Convenience stores in rural America, I mean, I'm from Iowa. I know how small town gas stations work. They're like the grocery store. They're like the local market. They're the place, if they have food service, where the farmers go eat every day, where uh, you know the local mechanic goes and meets his buddies for lunch. Like That's what convenience stores are. If you can put healthier options inside America's convenience stores, you are providing choice to people. Now, at the end of the day, people got to make a choice to buy healthy food, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done on on that front. But there are a lot of communities where you cannot find healthy options right now, or you really have to look carefully. Um, you look at these communities that are being taken over by dollar stores. Fortunately, the Dollar Channel, I think, is trying to improve some of the quality of their food because they probably feel the pressure to do it. Um, but these food deserts all have convenience stores. If you can put healthy food inside a convenience store, you have eliminated one of the biggest problems, which is lack of access. It's just, it's literally that simple. And it's, and it's not just that. People have this idea that we just need a Whole Foods, a boutique market or something. You know, people need these access to these grocers. I mean, that's nice, but come on, we, we all know that for a lot of people, just having access to that doesn't mean you're going to use it. What about someone who works long hours, who's on the go a lot for their job? They're going to prioritize, they're going to prioritize convenience, quick access. Maybe they don't cook their own food. You need to have healthy options available on the go for people. That's how we live our lives today. Um, so that's my long rant on that. But I did want to pivot away from that, though, because I realized that has a short shelf life. I, I know how health influencers work. They, they fizzle out. Um, like, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about that for another 10 years. I mean, you know, and weirdly enough, the thing about public speaking is it's almost like, it's almost like comedy. Um, and here's what I mean. I remember listening to, the, I think it was Louis C.K. talking about George Carlin. And you know, George Carlin's one of the funniest guys ever, right? And I think yeah. Louis C. Louis C.K. was saying that when he started his career, he had the same bit that he couldn't let go of, and he just kept doing the same bit. And he started realizing that was holding him back. And he listened to Carlin talk, and Carlin said, "Scraps his every year and starts new. 
And he's like, wait, how? He's like, you're one of the funniest guys out there. How can you just dump that and, and, and start fresh every year? And then he realized, like, that's kind of the secret. Like, it grows stale. You, you have to be reinventing yourself all the time. And I just didn't see where else I could really go with this. It's like, I got to pivot. Fortunately, um, look, working for Gas Buddy has been amazing. I have nothing but the best things to say about the company, the, the people I've met through the company. Um, it's just a really cool group of people really smart, really interesting, uh, talented group of people. And fortunately, through the type of work I've done there, I've been able to expand my skill set considerably and pivot away from doing the healthy food. And um, I don't know, just changed my life completely. Wow. There but you go. It's a, it's a long story, but, <laughs> but I mean, there's just no easy way to explain this, honestly. It's... Yeah, it's really hard for people to, you know, here's a weird thing for me. You grow up and you, and you're given this sense of how the world works, which is, um, very linear. It's very much like a start to finish line. Look, you don't realize how messy the path for a lot of people really is. And who knows where it'll go from here. But, um, you get the sense, all right, you get good grades you go, you go on to junior high to high school, you go to college, you get a degree, you start a job, you work your way up and you retire. And then, uh, that's life. Look, I mean, I graduated in 2008. Couldn't have been a worse time. Um, stayed horrible for a few years. I mean, a lot of people, there's a lot of people in my age group that are really smart people who are still like working at Starbucks right now. I, I know some people from college who are never going to climb out of this. Um, so I was really fortunate that I was able to find a way out of it. Wow. And you have. What a great thing. Yes. And when I hear your story, I realize that you and I are just completely polar opposites because, uh, as you know, I have no interest in healthy food, uh, <laughs> either at home or convenience stores. Uh, I avoid the produce aisle because, uh, fun fact, it's full of vegetables and just don't <laughs> enjoy that. Um, but you do like Brussels sprouts now. I do, and I have to thank you for that because you we had Brussels sprouts together in Las Vegas, and they were amazing. That's the one vegetable I like, and I just bought some this week. So, yes, I do love Brussels sprouts. You know, you're right. I do like a vegetable. I feel healthy all of a sudden. So now, Al's probably not going to say this, but I got to say this. So this was um, 2018 NAC show. Yeah, it's when we did yeah. the, NAC's, the NAC's road trip, which that was so much fun. That oh was seriously God, one of the it was best great. games. But, it was um, great. you know, we got done with the NAC show. We're in Vegas. Now, I, I used to live in Vegas for a year, so I, I'm i least like to think I'm somewhat familiar with it. And that was your first time there, wasn't it? Wasn't it? It Al? was my first okay. time, but you, I found out Frank is Mr. Las Vegas. Well, at least I knew enough like fun things to do. And so I'm, th I'm like, the show's done. We're both staying an extra night before we fly out. Um, Thank God you weren't going to drive home. God, 2,500 miles. <laughs> that would have been uh, a nightmare. I had to stop him from doing that. I was like, no, we're going to rent a car and we're going to leave it there. <laughs> we're, yeah. You're not taking your van and driving back. That was um, brilliant. That was a good idea. But we had an extra night. So I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's go over to, I think we went to the Venetian. Um, mm -hmm, you know, I wanted to see the shopping area where it looks like you're outside in Venice. Um, we did one of the goofy, touristy, you know, frozen bars where you put a parka on and drink old fashions <laughs> and a glass made great. of ice. I thought Al would have a blast with that. I and, did. But we went to get some food afterward, and I saw they had uh, some Brussels sprouts on the menu. I think that's some truffle oil in them, or truffle oil and Parmesan maybe. And God, I love Brussels sprouts. The look on your face when I suggested ordering those, you're like, man, I'm not eating that. <laughs> uh, man. And here, 
once you tried them, you like them. Oh my God! Well, the key is, first of all, they were they were roasted, which uh, 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 you know, my wife like steams them, and they have a horrific odor. Uh, I was a cop for fifteen years; it it smells like death uh, when she uh, steams these Brussels sprouts. And so the key was they roasted them. They they had them in uh, I think balsamic vinegar, truffle oil, some other stuff. So I just grab tr- uh, balsamic vinegar, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, Tony Sashri, which is a Cajun seasoning filled with all kinds of really good stuff. And then uh, some olive oil. And man, I eat those things all. And it's, that is the only vegetable that I eat is roasted Brussels sprouts. And, you know, every time I eat them, I think, thank God for Frank Beard. He has a little, we have a little pic. You, your, your picture should be on Brussels sprouts, Frank. <laughs> Well, I'll get you into asparagus and broccoli soon, but, uh, <laughs> you know, if you take that crispy, crunchy seasoning um, that they had at the uh, NAC show last year, yeah. steam steam some broccoli, grind up some salt and pepper on it, and toss it in a little bit of that crispy, crunchy seasoning, uh, it'll change your life. That's, oh, God. That stuff's incredible. It um, is. Ugh. I love so, it. That's great chicken. All right, so you heard my exceedingly long story. I'm curious, though. Uh, a lot of people don't know that you used to be a cop. I did. I did that for 15 years. You know, I was in, I was actually a, a junior in college and um, may or may not remember the Smokey and the Bandit movies. And there was this big line and I thought I was going to be in a movie, but inadvertently I actually joined the sheriff's office <laughs> accidentally. And when I wake up, I woke up in the police academy. And I'm like, oh my God, uh, wh- where's the camera? And so I ended up uh, like stumbling through that uh, for about 15 years. So it, it was, it was a very fun career, but it was, it was, I had a chance to, um, to experience sea stores in the middle of the night back when sea stores were not at all like they are now. Uh, first of all, I did a lot of business in sea stores because they got robbed a lot back then. <laughs> and then uh, so th- there was always something interesting going on in a sea store. But I will never forget, Frank, they had this, it wasn't the roller grill like we see today. It was almost like hot dogs on a small Ferris wheel inside this tiny lighted oven. And they would rotate, and it seems like every time I went, which is usually in the middle of the night, that's when cops go to these kind of places, uh, and uh, the hot dogs were perspiring. There were like these little beads of sweat on the hot dogs, and I and they were maroon, which you know some I guess they eventually started out red, but then they would turn maroon, and then sweat. And I was like, man, I would never eat one of those. They looked extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, but I mean, you know, those were that's that was C stores back in the in the eighties and you know the customer service was I mean non existent. And um you know, I uh, ended up uh, leaving the sheriff's office because I was recruited by the psychiatric services of a big hospital because I had this weird little skill set that they needed in the psych services that I picked up when I was a cop, so I did that and then ended up doing uh medical media and then became just a healthcare writer and reporter. And so I was doing these medical projects in the state of Texas. I'd worked at an ABC affiliate in Lafayette, Louisiana, left because uh, we accidentally had a child. And uh, boy, I just couldn't be in broadcast TV anymore. So uh, I ended up uh, starting a little company. We did medical projects. And my videographer and I 
were in a gas station. I remember like it was yesterday. And we walked into this, this convenience store and it smelled like your grandmother's kitchen on a Sunday afternoon. It was amazing. And we looked at each other. I said, could they be cooking in this place? And we walked around and sure enough, there were two ladies behind a, a, a little serving area and they had roast and rice and gravy and green beans and all the, and, and rolls. And we had the most amazing meal. And I remember telling him, I said, if there's one or two more places like this in the country while we travel, we'll do stories about the food and we're going to call it the gas station gourmet and we'll get a free meal. You know, and that was our only goal was uh, uh, that's that's how TV people think. If we can just get a free lunch, we're going to be good. And uh, that was around 2007. And so uh, I started doing this gas station gourmet. I had someone develop the logo and uh, just started kind of playing with it a little bit. And, you know, we'd go places and do a story and, and do some goofy stuff. And um, and then I don't remember how I hooked up with Nax, but it was either uh, Chris Blazinski, I believe, was the editor back then. Aaron Presley was there, and she's still there. Both are still there. They're doing something else, but, uh, 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 you know, with the magazine. And uh, somehow I got hooked up with them and started writing the Gas Station Gourmet for them in, in 2011. And um, just, you know, it's it's been, it's so weird is that, you know, I, I've gone into places and uh, like you, Frank, you find the weirdest things and you find this, uh, I was in a gas station and there was this word that I couldn't recognize. And I said, what is this? And the guy said, it's the most tender part of the cow. And I said, well, what is the most tender part of the cow? I said, well, you have to try it. And I knew it was a trap. I should have known. <laughs> That's and I ate trap. it. Oh my God. It's all, if they won't tell you what it is, it's a trap. And uh, it was, it was very tender. It was like meat pudding. It was the most intense flavor of meat I've ever experienced. And it turned out to be the cheek of the cow. <laughs> And uh, it's, oh, geez, it was uh, really interesting. And uh, I, had, I, had, I had all I'd ever need my entire life that day. Uh, and, you know, you, you, you find all these interesting things. But, you know, the one thing I find, and I think you probably see it too, is, is the passion of the people behind the counter. And, you know, like I would never have tried this had this guy not been so in insanely passionate about it. But, you know, he convinced me to try something. I didn't know what it was. And you know what? A fun fact: my cheek actually ached for days after that, after eating cow cheek. And <clears throat> so, you know, I started finding that kind of stuff, and, and you know, uh, went to spoke at CSP one year, and then the Knacks and shows, and uh, you know, ended up finding the the weird stuff that I like to write about. Like I found uh, uh, Hitler's limo in a gas station in uh, uh, Dragoon, Arizona. This <laughs> 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 is the craziest stuff, and and the psychic goat. Up in, uh, God, I can't pronounce the name of that place in Wisconsin, but you've been there with the zoo. You you were up there once, Yeah, right? the Concord General Store. The Concord General yeah. Store has a psychic goat that act, act, uh, accurately predicted the last election. And I'm back in the, the news business again. I'm on a morning show in, in South Louisiana, and uh, we actually did not predict this, the last election well, but this goat did. So uh, I'm all for hiring goats if you're in the media business. They, they're amazingly uh, psychic animals. And uh, so it's just, you know, we've had so much fun together. And, you know, when I hear you talking about the healthy stuff, I think about this amazing banana pudding I had in a truck stop called Sammy's. And uh, it's on I-49. It's in Louisiana. And I, was, I asked, why is, this, why is this banana pudding so good? And she said, well, it should be. It's got heavy cream in it. And I'm thinking, whoa, heavy cream that's mostly fat. 
and so I think, you know, Frank, I think what, what makes, I think, you and I interesting is that we're sort of the yin and yang often of gas station food. You know, you find the healthy stuff. Uh, I find the, the well stuff that would clog your arteries, you know, and, and uh, uh, I, I wish I could uh, be more uh, judicious about how much I eat, but I go into a place, I find something good, and I feel like, well, I have to finish the buffet, you know, and, uh, but, you know, you're, you know, if you, if you could see Frank, he's young, he's thin, he's got a ton of dark hair, I'm old, I'm fat, you know, uh, just, you know, waiting for that first, you know, massive heart attack to hit, uh, because I've eaten some kind of crazy, uh, biscuits and gravy. I love biscuits and gravy, you know. To be fair, I do love biscuits and gravy. Uh, that's, that's, that's hard to beat. Um, again, that's, that's a staple around Iowa. Uh, really? I didn't realize, cause it's oh, definitely a staple yeah. down here in South Louisiana. I, I mean, I'm sure maybe done slightly different. Um, I've never had biscuits and gravy down there, but probably because I'm always trying to get other interesting things on the menu that are coming <laughs> up here. Um, yes. Like, you know, alligator, boudin, all that. Good oh, stuff. yeah. Uh, but yeah, biscuits and gravy is extremely common up here. That's that's a very common type of food. So, Frank, I know you and I both have a passion for restrooms, but not not for the reason people may think. <laughs> that does sound weird when you say you, we have a passion for public restrooms. It sounds like uh, we're going to be on some kind of list uh, of people not to let in. But uh, your favorite restroom that you run across in America, what, which what, where, what do you like? Oh, man, that's that that is a really good question. Um, you know, I'm. I'm going to say a couple things. Um, I just wanted to have a loud mechanical keyboard here. Unfortunately, not the best for podcasts, but I wanted to double check the couple names just to make sure. You know, one I went through recently, I'm going to say, is the Greater Chicago I-55 Truck Plaza. Um, I went there earlier this year. I met one of the owners. Um, I did a keynote at uh, Natso's, uh, Natso's annual conference in 2019 and uh, met her afterwards and she pulls out her cell phone and shows me the restrooms they just put in. And I'm not terribly far from there being, you know, I, five and a half hours from Chicago, but I don't usually have a lot of reason to drive to Chicago. And um, earlier I ended up going to Berlin this year. And on the way back after leaving O'Hare, I stopped in. These restrooms are unreal. I have never seen anything like this in, in, a, in a truck stop especially, but in any convenience store um i would just encourage it'll be on our episode page i'll link to this it's greater chicago i55.com uh the women's restroom looks like a nightclub um wow it's insane like the lights change colors and everything uh the men's restroom is insanely fancy uh the trucker showers are probably nicer than what anyone has at their own home um like this is like high-end stuff it's it it just completely completely blew my mind. My sister actually went there with me. Um, she went in the women's restroom and took some photos. She came out and she's like, you're not going to believe this. And I'm like, I've seen the photos, uh, that were on the website. I probably will, but she took a video and anyway, I will link to those. That's probably my most recent favorite, but otherwise I got to say, um, Sap Bros in Harrisonville, Missouri blew me away, uh, just for the sheer cleanliness of it. Um, it, it was like unparalleled, but then and Al, you'll probably agree with me on this. I, this this one might be on your list. I think I gotta say, Prosex. Oh, I love Prosex. Yes, love it. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
Now, we went to Prospect Hilgey Smokehouse, right? Not the right. larger one. I mean, Seattle, now, Texas. I say I not can. the larger one. I mean, if you saw this place, it is probably the largest convenience store anyone has been in unless they've been to a Bucky's. So this oh, is- Oh, absolutely. It's got to be 40,000 square feet. Um, and it's just insanely fancy. Think of a high-end hunting lodge that has pumps outside, and that's what this place is. It's got a saltwater yeah. aquarium. It's got a big bear roaring up when you come inside. And then what is that mascot, Big H? Well, it, what it's is a he? sausage- Wearing a cowboy hat. All right. I wonder if it's beef jerky. So Texas. It's so Texas. Yeah. Uh, it's a sausage with a face on it, and it's right. got a cowboy hat, <laughs> and it waves at you. Um, it's 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 entirely stupid, but sometimes stupid is the best. It makes it lovable. It's like, I've got the oven mitts. I've got a t-shirt. My wife, I bought her a t-shirt. But the reason I bring it up is, Al, you remember, you go in the restroom, and they had like laser cut Big H's face, put it on the wall above the sink. And the water shoots out of his mouth into a, like a pounded a pounded metal sink. It looks like pounded copper sinks, but it's probably a knockoff. It's still fancy. Oh my god! Yeah, I I, I love That's it. A gas I, station you know, bathroom. If, you have, if you've not seen water uh, spew forth from the mouth of a sausage with a cowboy hat, you've got to go to Saprosix. I mean, uh, and the food's terrific there. I love their food. They have tremendous pastries. Uh, I eat there every time I pass by there. Uh, well, it's it's a great place. You know, here's a funny thing that Al's not going to mention, <laughs> but I'll mention it. Uh, so we, when we went to Prospects, we were in the next road trip, and uh, we decided to do some of our own PR and pitched uh, Jennifer Fulweiler's show on the yeah. Catholic Sirius XM station cause, because she's in the area, and we were going to pass through. Um, she was she was great. She was such a she was a great interviewer, great radio host. Like that was a fun time. So yeah, she her. wanted us to bring some gas station food up to Austin as we come in. Now, the thing you got to understand about Prosex is this isn't just a bakery. This is like larger than whatever bakery you're used to going to. It isn't just a meat department inside the gas station. The meat counter puts your local grocery store to shame. Every Everything's bigger and better in this store. Trust me. Oh, um, yeah. So I say this because of all the pastries that we had to choose from. You know what Al buys to take on a Catholic show? Something called a crack stick. <laughs> and it was delicious. <laughs> oh, my God. And why is it called a crack stick? <laughs> because you can't just eat one. You got to eat, eat them over and over and over again. It's just it's just insanely delicious. So, it was uh, how how I mean, just how insane is that? I'm trying to remember exactly what was in it. Uh, it was uh, I'm looking it up now because, you know, I eat a lot of uh, really wasn't it, bad. Wasn't it like a straight Oh, no. Wasn't it like a churro with filling or like a straight Dutch letter with something else done? Yeah, it was something like that. And it was, uh, it it had, uh, was it cream cheese in it? It was, uh, oh my God, the crack sticks were incredibly good. And I mean, uh, either way, the name is well-deserved. Oh my God, yeah. I mean, look, everything there is so good. And what I love about Prosix, and if you have a C-Store, you should think about this, is all the samples that are available. Oh, yes. And, you know, I was talking to someone in a C-store not long ago, and they were saying, God, oh, you know, this didn't sell, that didn't sell. It's like, you know, samples. You know, I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to be big. You know, you just put the samples near the register. People will try it. They will like it. And, you know, I mean, you know, and it's going to sell. I've been preaching the samples for a while. And, I, you know, I, I'm curious to see how COVID-19 is going to impact that because oh, obviously yeah. not the best time to be doing that. I, I mean, if you get a cheap little small sample size bag that you could slip something in and seal it. Um, 
I'm I'm sure some of the suppliers are going to offer options for things like this moving forward. I, I mean, you think of like Costco and all the samples they do. There's got to be a way to uh, oh to do that a little safer. But you know, samples are such an untapped opportunity. It's just amazes me like how many convenience stores have some really good products, but folks aren't going to make that leap and give it a shot unless they've had a chance to try it first. Sometimes like there's a, ch- a chain, a chain that I really like. Um, I, I don't want to say who they are for this reason, but they, they, they have insanely good pizza and they're competing against somebody who has also really good pizza that kind of overshadows them for that reason. But they have this, this thin crust that is to die for, but here's a problem. Thin crust pizza doesn't hold up very well in the hot boxes, right? You know, mm. condensation gets to it. It just, you lift it up and it droops. Uh, it's just not as good for that kind of, uh, you know, for self, for self-serve like that. But the result is the barrier to try the thin crust is to buy the whole thin crust. A lot of people aren't going to do that because, I mean, if it's not good, well, you're out of full pizza. Right. But it is good. They need to be giving samples of that stuff on a regular basis because it can't cost that much to make. It's pizza. Pizza's not an expensive thing to make. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And, 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 you know, you've had boudin down here, and everybody's got it. And I was in a store just the other day, um, and somebody was saying, well, our boudin, you know, it's, and it's great boudin. And they were trying to figure out why it wasn't selling. I said, you got to give samples. Oh, we never thought about doing samples because, you know, fights start over who's got better boudin down here. You know, it's it's crazy. People are super passionate about it. And, um, you know, people are not going to try convenience store boudin because they're going to be nervous about it you know but you and i both know we've had some of the best food in convenience stores i mean you love the boudin up at uh, college junction mud bugs in eunice i love everything at college junction mud bugs in eunice oh my god Uh, pretty sure it's taken a couple years off my life having eaten there but it 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 was a sacrifice i was willing to make oh i got to tell you there there's a store that you know does so many things right when it comes to food they're not afraid to try new things um uh, it's, it's just, it's a great place. And, you know, you, Frank, you and I run into places that, uh, simply do everything right. It seems like they do so much right. And, uh, College Junction Mudbugs is one of those for me. I think also Bourbon Street Deli is one of those where you go in there and, you know, I ended up on an NPR show because some guy read that, uh, I had actually counted the shrimp on a po'boy at Bourbon Street Deli. They had two dozen shrimp on a six-inch po'boy. This is unbelievable, you know. <laughs> you, you can't stuff this thing in your mouth. There's too many shrimp on it. Uh, and, you know, we, we, you know, people just don't realize how great the food is. And, and on the other side is a lot of times the sea stores don't really encourage people the way they should to try the food through Facebook and through samples and things like that. And, you know, I think we, you know, sometimes you miss potential customers and, uh, you know, you know, we all know people that, uh, once a C store has a loyal customer, it seems like that customer is there forever. Well, I think something that's a little tough for, especially the single store, single store guys and gals is, um, you know, a lot of folks, they work, it's kind of like what Anthony Perini said a couple episodes back. He's like, they're working in their business, not on their business. Right. Sort of that distinction. Um, I hear that story a lot and I'm not criticizing for him. I totally get it. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, look, I, I mean, I, I grew up with, you know, dad and stepmom, mom and stepdad, you know, two sets of parents, but my dad and stepmom, you know, owned a, a, a trade bindery and, uh, looking back as a kid and seeing like just a sheer number of hours that they had to put into that. Um, 
I mean, look, running running a business is is, is a huge sacrifice from for from the perspective of time. Uh, so I get why a lot of folks don't get out and see what other people are doing, but um, it's so critical, especially for the single store operators, to just see what others are doing and take these really great ideas. I mean, not like steal some uh, boring best practices, but if you get around enough. It, it, I don't know, it just stimulates your thinking, you know, it helps you come up with new ideas. You see what worked for someone else and maybe how you could do it a little differently. It just shows you what's out there for options. And it's actually cool. I remember uh, after we did our first road trip to the NAC show in 2017, uh, uh, which I don't think I mentioned, that's actually our first time meeting in person. Right, uh, yeah. Was, my first but... time meeting this guy in person was to fly down to New Orleans and drive in a van 1,500 miles to a trade <laughs> show and eat gas station food. That's... That's a good way to meet somebody. That's um, faith too, man. That's a lot of faith. But um, it was cool watching your presentation that you did there because it was all it was all about exactly that. Um, what are some of the things that you could be doing to build a food service program? And every every step that you provided, you had a specific example with pictures of a retailer who exemplifies that particular step really well. I was sitting behind a group of guys. Um, <laughs> you should have seen them. They were. Uh, they were jotting notes down and turning and talking to each other. And man, they got so much out of that. It was, it was honestly really well done. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, and, and I mean, uh, I mean, uh, Frank is one of the most interesting guys around. I mean, I, I go to Frank's presentations all the time and, uh, it's, I mean, Frank, it's deep. You're deep. You know, the, you know, some stuff, man, you know, a lot of stuff. Um, and I, of course you I, travel around the world. You travel around the world. You know, it's what's been really what's been really cool about this is um, like it's it's fun to get invited to, to speak somewhere. But what honestly made me feel kind of cool the last few years was getting to start doing this internationally and speak yeah. overseas. Uh, and it's for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, it just feels cool when like you're being asked to come speak at a at an event in Australia. Um, oh, yeah. That was one of the best times I had, honestly, for any trip, I think. Um, Sydney is highly recommended to visit. Um I don't know. First off, it's a big it's a big city, but it's clean. And I'm sure any of our listeners in Australia, we actually have a pretty decent number of listeners in Australia on our data, I see. But um, I'm sure some of our listeners in Australia are going to be like, man, Sydney's not clean. What are you talking about? I'm like, well, yes. First, go look at New York City and then go back to Sydney. Sydney's clean. Um, oh, yeah. Especially for a city that size. It's just beautiful. And there's so much to do there. Um, anyway, just highly recommended. But going over there, I've been to Germany a few times. Um had some invites to go some other places this year, but I probably won't be traveling uh, with the coronavirus. So, um, but it was neat to do that. But at the same time, it's honestly helped me understand more about the industry because here's what I found. Um, Look, whatever trend you're interested in, that trend is, is, is further ahead in some other country or further behind somewhere else. Um, Everyone if you think of it, like everyone's trying to do the same thing, but they're in environments where the rules are slightly different, the history is slightly different, um, and there's just different variables that they have to contend with. So sometimes it results in some really interesting ideas that come out. Like if you go into a German convenience store, one of the newer ones, one of the more forward-thinking ones, and you look at their food service, it's very different than in the United States. And it's kind of cool the way they have food displayed behind these uh, glass display cases where the food is not gated behind a menu, but it's there to be showcased, uh, to add, it adds to the ambience of the store. 
I'm probably reading things into it that some folks there don't notice because they're just used to it. But here, it's so different from what we do, and I kind of I kind of like it. Um, I don't know. It's just just a different atmosphere. Uh, you look at how they utilize small formats and limited space so much more effectively than than some retailers here. I mean, you go down to Texas, you've just got land everywhere. You can build a monstrosity of a store. Um, if you build a store in Berlin, that's not the case. You don't have that option. Um, right. I don't know. You just start seeing all a lot of different ideas coming out, different thinking, and it's really kind of exciting to see. Well, you know, I was impressed from the, some of the photos you brought back. Uh, I think it was Germany had all this bread. Oh, I mean, just like man. all this different so kinds good. of bread. I'm thinking how, I mean, that's a lot of bread. You know, it's a lot so of different good. kinds of bread. I mean, man, that I mean, they are not carb-free in Germany for sure. I, I was stunned at the kinds of bread they had there. Oh, you know? yeah. No, I'd be, so un- I'd be so unhealthy if I lived there. Actually, I probably wouldn't because like, I don't know. Just my observations. Everyone seemed pretty fit over there. Um, yeah, they're doing they're doing something right. Is all I got to say. Um, Bread in Germany seems like sausage in the South. Because if you remember Prosics, they must have had like I don't know twenty five thirty yards of of cases with different kinds of sausage and beef jerky in it. So I guess. You know, we're more meat over here. Perhaps Germany was more into bread. It was, uh, boy, that was, that was, and it was beautiful bread. I mean, and uh, of course, we have beautiful sausage down here. It's great bread, you know, really good bread, cured meats. Um, I thought the coffee over there was honestly pretty amazing too. Um, really? Coffee in Australia, though, was really good. But uh, <laughs> the thing I keep finding out, you know, Nick Mullis talked about that on our second episode, uh, just how um, <laughs> Australians have it kind of think their coffee is the best. Um, it's similar, my understanding is similar to Italian coffee. It's just espresso based. Um, some folks I know from over there were very confused about how Americans start with drip coffee black as a base and then add to it. They found that really bizarre. Um, I, you know, I tried plenty of their coffee when I was in Sydney and it was awesome. It's just a different flavor profile. You know, if you grew up around something that's done a little differently, you just get a taste for it. That's all that is. Um, but their coffee's amazing. I did have some good pour over coffee there. Um, pour over is my favorite. That's what I make at home. Um, now explain pour over. Whoops. I dropped my headphones. Oh no. Another podcast tragedy. My but- fault for scratching my ear on a podcast, but Anyway, so here's, and again, I'm not a hardcore coffee expert. I'm not a barista. I'm just like a consumer fan of coffee. Um, And I learned relatively late, and I think it's because when you try garbage coffee, you get turned off from it. Uh, It's like if you try steamed Brussels sprouts, you're going to think Brussels sprouts suck. Yes. (laughs) So Smell of death. Basically, I just use a simple pour over. It's just a glass craft. Um, if you get like a Chemex, they use a uh, like a filter, like a mm-hmm. I think it's a paper filter, um, and they kind of you lay that in there, um, and then put your your ground coffee. You don't want it too coarse, too thin. Um, just get like a lot of coffee shops will allow you to do a, gr- a grind specified for a pour over, but any basic grind that you get in the store should probably be fine. And I'm sure some barista might listen to this and think that's not true. Yeah, but again, when someone's profile set up for di- to taste diminishing returns, just relax a little bit. Um, that's pretty much it. Just uh, take a um, heat up your water for the right temperature, pour the right amount over. You want to like pour a little bit in first and let it kind of pass through. You'll see bubbles appear in the coffee. You know, kind of let the gas release. Give it about a minute and then pour 
pour the rest in, let it fill up and drain through. It's just very true to the coffee bean. It's very simple, doesn't require a lot of equipment. I don't use the paper filters personally. I like having a metal filter so the oils get into the coffee. Mm -hmm. I use one called an Abel Cone. Um, I think it was funded on Kickstarter. Now, I would not recommend paying full price for one because they're like 60 bucks, I think, for a filter, which is ridiculous. But their website sells refurbished ones. That's what I bought. 30 bucks, it's the same thing. Wow. Um, makes a killer cup of coffee. So easy to use. Get a $30 coffee kettle at Target that heats it up uh, and has a little spout so it restricts the flow of water so you don't dump too much in. And look, I, I'm sure, again, there's some baristas that'd be like, that's garbage. And I'm like, it's pretty good, let's be honest, as long as you get the right coffee beans. I buy a lot. Um, I got them over here. Hold on. Uh, Equator, Equator coffees. That's who I buy from. Um, they make great coffee. I've been buying a bunch during during the pandemic, honestly. Well, we down here in Louisiana, we 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 like coffee called community coffee, which is considered the state coffee. And uh, boy, I tell you what, there are places that have veered away from community coffee. Uh, hospitals have done it, and uh, boy, they just have to go right back because. Patients and staff just love community coffee, and there's we call them Cajun coffee pots down here, but it's basically a metal pot with the metal filter, and you put the grinds in there, then you put this little thing on top, and you pour the coffee into that, and it drips through. So it's a drip process. It sounds like it's not unlike what you're using over there, but... Uh, you know, you would walk into houses of old Cajuns when I was growing up, and they would have that pot sitting in a in a in a pan of water on the stove there to keep it hot all day long because they drink coffee all day. And um, so, I mean, that makes awesome coffee. We occasionally use a French press down here, but you know, kind of we kind of stick with community coffee down here. And I did learn I, another thing I picked up from Frank was uh, I was introduced to cold brew coffee in Missouri. On that, I think it was our first, it may be 2018. Uh, I think it was when we went to Chicago. Yes, uh, you're right. It's a 2017 road trip. Yeah, 2017. We went, we went in that one store in St. Louis. I'm forgetting the name yeah. of it because it's been bought by another company and since changed, I believe. But, all right, funny story about that store. So we pull into this place. Um, it was on one of the Nax Ideas to Go segments. Um, and again, I think it's been... They've changed the name on it since, but really, really great store in St. Louis. We pull in, and this place has a pretty diverse selection of food. They had some great stuff, just a lot of great sandwiches. Uh, they even had, like, was it like fried fried cheese ravioli and marinara? Yeah. They had just all kinds of cool stuff. Al goes to the Roller Dogs. I look Had's over. You're at the hot dog stand pulling a bun out from the drawer, and I'm like, there's all this food here. And then here's a funny thing. And we had some videos of this. God, our videos were funny. Um, I got uh, celery and peanut butter at, at that store, amongst a few other things. And when we were driving away, I'm eating this. And I noticed Al was looking at me with this complete look of shock on his face. Like, he could not believe what he was seeing. I I just can't believe that anyone would put... I, I, I don't know. I've heard of celery and peanut butter. I personally don't get it. I don't understand it. Uh, it's uh, like many things in this world that I simply don't understand, but I do not understand celery and peanut butter. And I've never had anyone eat it in my van before, and it's not been eaten in there since. Uh, 
But yeah, we did Boy. get some of the cold brew, and I had I oh, cautioned you. I was like, hey. changed my life. And I was like, just a heads up, um, there's a ton of caffeine in here, which is why I'm going to probably get some, but just FYI, so you know. Um, now, I, I, I tell you what, one of the things we did is I, I, I was so uh, in love with cold brew that when I came back to Louisiana, I found this guy had uh, a special cold brew uh, coffee, bean, and grind, and it was 12 bucks a pound. It was really good. But I found out you could take community coffee, just the regular grounds that we use every day. Uh, I bought a milk nut bag off of Amazon. You put it in there and you steep it for 24 hours and you have amazingly good cold brew. So I found that I can make cold brew from our own community coffee here. And I tell you what, I'm, I'm on a morning show on the NBC affiliate here and it is the fuel of our morning show. I mean, people are so addicted to the cold brew that I make with the community coffee. And, and you're right. It's for some reason, it's just got quite a kick to it, doesn't it, Frank? It does. Um, basically, it has a higher caffeine content. Um, but, you know, one of the things that's fun about coffee and what's what's nice to appreciate about it, though, I think is like I, I'm, I'm a big wine fan, um, you know, but I like... I've kind of slacked off the last probably year and a half, but for a while, I mean, I, I kept a tasting notebook. I was pretty methodical about it. Um, you know, I thought it'd be fun to take some tests on that at some point, but um, coffee has a little bit of that level of intrigue to it, though. Um, it's different, but if you dig into it, into different, uh, different styles, different types of beans, um, there's a lot that you can actually really appreciate out of it. It's kind of fun to explore. Um, yeah. There's, it's, it's a very versatile type of beverage. It, it's fun. Honestly, one of the things, though, that's been cool to see is how convenience stores have completely changed the way that they do coffee. I mean, I, I remember what it was like as a kid where you'd have your very basic drip coffee. It'd just be sitting, you know, sitting in glass there on a heater for, like, all day. Um, uh, yeah. Just garbage coffee, right? Um, now, though, I mean, the convenience stores are just as good in many cases, if not better, than the coffee chains. Um, in fact, I'm, it's too bad uh, when this pandemic hit, I was getting ready to do a big PR blast on a, on a survey I worked on um, where, you know, I won't share the results here because this will probably be hopefully forthcoming at some point. But basically finding that when people are asked to rate brands on quality and also on bang, on value, bang for their buck, uh in key battleground states, the coffee shops are, in many cases, losing to convenience stores. Um, and I think what this goes to show is these convenience stores have put some serious money into doing coffee right. Um, like, I remember going to Twice Daily last year um, out in Nashville. Man, they've got a third-wave coffee program in there. They have Mod Bar's pour-over system installed in the counter. Um you know, it's not called Twice Daily Coffee. It's White Bison Coffee. Very fancy store. Wi-Fi was like five times quicker than Starbucks across the road when I ran a speed test. Um, single origin pour-over coffee inside a gas station. Like, who who, who would have ever thought that, that we'd go from the old drip coffee systems to that? Um, that really changed my perspective. That that was some amazing coffee. And the barista behind the counter was, like, so happy to talk about it and yeah. explain the system. And it was just a fun experience, really. You know, it was a really fun experience. And, you know, I mean, <clears throat> down even down here in South Louisiana, we've got the, uh, you know, it's 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 beans to coffee. I mean, so, you know, you just press the button, grinds the beans, you make a cup of coffee, and it doesn't get fresher than that. There's some amazing coffee uh, in sea stores down here, and it's uh, it's it's only getting better. You know, it's um, changed subject slightly, because we were talking about this before we got on the show. Um, you, you had mentioned... Uh, 
and I guess we both explained, I mean, we, we've gotten into doing this through like very non-traditional backgrounds. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, we both kind of have a weird story on how we stumbled upon, uh, convenience stores being a, almost a hobby, uh, being fascinated with the idea of customer experience, um, and kind of doing what we do. I don't know about you, but I, my, my whole, I, I have a huge imposter syndrome complex and it's, uh, it's weird because you just always kind of assume that everyone knows more about what you're talking about than what you do almost as like an instinctive emotional reaction. And it's weird. I've never really found a way around it, but something happened recently that made me kind of feel good. Um, I was irritated at first, but then I felt good about it. Um, I was listening. There's a podcast that brought on one of these dudes who, you know, sorry if anyone's listening who does this, but please don't. Um, if you if you put like retail guru or marketing guru in your title on LinkedIn, please, 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 please take that off. <laughs> it, it just looks, it just doesn't look good. You know, it's like uh, if you have to call yourself that, you, you're probably not. Yeah, it's like I mean, a, it's really? like where you see uh, someone who says, "Well, uh, you know, they, they describe themselves as classy." Usually, uh, yeah, and maybe you're not classy. Yeah, reputation should speak for yourself. Absolutely. Um, if you are, people will know you are. But one of these, one of these guys, you know, it's like the one of those types of folks that always writes for Forbes or something and has to. Well, I'm a guru of this. I'm like, oh God, spare me. Um, went on a podcast and was talking about something that I've literally been talking about in presentations for two years, and. It made me feel good because I'm like, all right, here's someone who has exactly the like cookie cutter background for what he's doing that you would expect someone who does that to have. Uh, went to like an Ivy League school, um, did just all this stuff that fits with what he does now. This is like, this is like the uh, start, the start to finish line, not diverging from the path type of background. And it's so funny to think that. Wait, I was talking about this for literally the last two years. This is not new. This is not new stuff. And I'm not and I surely wasn't the first one to talk about it either. But I don't know, made me feel kind of good about myself. Um, I don't know, maybe tempered the imposter syndrome a little bit. Well, you know, I, I kind of feel the same way. I think uh, a lot of people in the TV business always feel like, uh, uh, you know, it's going to end tomorrow, you know. And, and of course, I guess any job can end tomorrow. But, yeah, I think we all kind of have that. Uh, uh, I don't think we ever. I, I, it wasn't until I uh, you you mentioned it that you know put a name to it. But yeah, I, I think people who don't have it maybe are just brimming with confidence. Uh, I'm Probably always better open. You do have it. I am always open uh, to the reality that I'm probably wrong. You know, uh, uh, other than what I observe. You know, I'm, you know, I go into a place and go, wow, uh, that's an amazing restroom. I'm going to take pictures. I feel I'm right sometimes with that, but I think there's a lot of times I go, "Ooh, I could be wrong on this one or that one." And uh, I, I think people who who aren't open to that, um, you know, tend to be those people who just have so much confidence they 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 don't have imposter syndrome. Yeah, and that's the thing. I I think it's almost a little better if you do have it because um, it shows it shows a degree of self awareness. If you if you're if you're someone who is not aware of the fact that you, there's a lot you just don't know, um, oh yeah, that's that's being a little too overconfident in a way that can actually come back to bite you. Um, I mean, I'm very I'm very aware of how much I don't know on things, but I'm always trying to ingest more information, learn more, and uh, broaden my knowledge base in a way that's beneficial. Um, 
I mean, you always have to be a lifelong learner no matter what you do. And, uh, yeah, but yeah, that's always a, that's a tricky thing to get over. And I've, I've learned over the course of, you know, last few years too, that a lot of other people have this issue. I mean, it's not just me. Um, but still, you know, honestly, one of the hardest things for me to get over, um, a few, a few people know this, like I don't talk a lot about it. Um, but like I grew up with a speech impediment. I had to go to speech therapy over it. I still, if you know me well enough, you've probably been on a call with me at some point where I've struggled to say certain words or I repeat them like four or five times before I continue what I'm saying. It's because I grew up with a speech impediment. Like I have, I've spent probably, I mean, I, I don't even know how much to quantify, but hours upon hours upon hours talking to myself in the car, reciting things, um, to try to, to try to get over this because it's like, I'll try to say something and I know what it is. And the words just literally will not come out. Uh, when I was a kid, I stuttered, like I got picked on for stuttering in kindergarten. Um, I don't really remember this. I think it was second grade, but my mom has told me that this is true. Apparently I got so fed up with it. I just decided I was going to stop talking because that's a oh, great wow. solution. If you struggle with it, yeah, I'll just stop doing that then. <laughs> then it's not a problem anymore. Um, <laughs> I don't remember that. Maybe I, who knows? Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a lifelong thing. It's uh, it's weird. I, I don't have any problem with it in front of crowds generally, although there's been a few cases where I have. Um, it's generally one-on-one conversations. That's where it flares up. It's wow. weird. Although, um, so Partnership for Healthy America's 2017 summit, I spoke at that. And I, after I was done speaking, I did an introduction for the next person. Uh, <laughs> if he's listening to this, he might find this funny. Uh, the letter his name starts with, or just the sound that it starts with, is one that is actually kind of hard for me to, to, to say sometimes, especially if I'm nervous. It's just like that group of lettering that it's just, it just clogs up the dam almost and the water doesn't come out. And I, the whole time going into this, I was like, I, I can't screw that up on stage. I can't screw that up on stage. I literally memorized my entire presentation, uh, which a lot of people don't realize. If When I started this, I would memorize everything verbatim, everything. Um, it didn't sound like I had it memorized. But the thing is, if you memorize something, it's a lot easier to deviate and freewheel and make it converse then make it conversational. It, it just polishes it better. I don't really do that anymore because I've gotten better to where I don't need to do that, but that's how I started. And I just got caught up slightly on his name in front of like, I don't know how many people are there. 1500, maybe, um, literally Bill Clinton spoke on the same stage like three hours earlier. So it was a high profile event. And I'm like, I can't, I can't let the speech impediment get me here. And it kind of did slightly, but I think I got over it. Um, I don't think anyone noticed. Wow. Uh, I was, it was very stressful. <laughs> yeah. I, I struggle with certain words like rural. I hate to say rural. rural. And, and Oh, I hate That's that word. I hate that word. I hate that word. So I, I feel your pain when it comes to that. <laughs> Definitely. Oh, geez. You know? Oh man. So, you know, when it comes to travel, I know that, you know, there's a lot of great sea stores in Texas, and I know you and I both spent a lot of times in Texas, but, you know, there's a little town in Maine, Maine called Ellsworth, Maine, and I believe I've written about three or four sea stores there that have amazing food, and, uh, boy, that's one of those places, uh, you know, that I was like, God, Ellsworth, Maine, who'd have thought? Uh, it, uh, wh- where do you like to go, Frank? Where, where's, where are your favorite places? Talking about favorite convenience stores, or, or is it just travel in general? 
it's convenience stores. So if we're looking at convenience stores, um, wow. You know, it's almost a hard question to say what your favorites are. Um, probably one of the best by far for me is definitely going to be High Country Marketplace and Gastropub. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, man. Zaheer, love that place. Zaheer's place is phenomenal. Um, it is one of the absolute coolest convenience stores in the entire world. Um, and again, we'll we'll link to some stuff that we've both written about this one, actually. Um, nothing like it. I, I mean, Zaheer imports truffle oil and puts it in his ketchup. Oh, my God. Yeah, I have a whole video on his ketchup. I got a, a, it's a thing that's, it's $300 bowl of ketchup. It's the yeah. most amazing ketchup on the planet. It's actually it's supposed delicious. to I was supposed to go back there this month. I was going to take take a little time off and go down to Texas, uh, just you know, take a little trip. But um, definitely not doing it now, sadly. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to, you know, get some more Bucky's merch and then stop by Zahir's place. Um, but yeah, Zahir's place is definitely the best. I mean, truffle oil and a ketchup, the pizzas to die for. I mean, the pizza comes out of the oven and they brush it with olive oil and uh, crushed basil. Um, oh yeah, and he does the, a Frito pie. I don't know if you have Frito pies up in. Uh, in- I don't think. I don't think in we have Iowa. pies. No. So what they uh, what a Frito pie is down here, if you go to a high school basketball game, they take a, a bag of Fritos, they open it up, and they put a dollop of chili in it, give you a plastic spoon, and boom. Oh, that's just called a walking taco. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. You've never heard of that? Well, we call them Frito <laughs> pies down here, you know? Um, wow, never heard it called a walking taco. There you, And that yeah. is the difference between our cultures. <laughs> yeah, it's just <laughs> called a... Walking taco, cheese, uh, cheese Doritos, a scoop of uh, kind of ground ground beef, kind of taco meat, and um, yeah, big pile you of cheese here, on top and sour cream. Here it's chili. Usually comes from a can that someone, but I mean a giant can down here. And so when I went to um, to Zahir's, uh, he had a completely different spin on it, you know, and it was delicious. One. <laughs> oh my god, it was so good, and. Uh, you know what I what I love about Zahir and, and and people like him is it took him a couple of weeks of testing and tasting to see what blend of meat he wanted to put in his hamburger, and you know I think people if they realized the painstaking detail that went into some of the food they get at, at gas stations they'd eat there all the time just like we do you know I mean there's nothing that's served at uh, at Zahir's place that has not been thought through, tested, tweaked, and, and that's what makes it so good. Plus, he's a sommelier and probably has one of the best wine selections in the state of Texas. I was going to say, we haven't even gotten in, into the good stuff there. His wine selection is to die for. Um, you know, the funny thing is, so the first time I went there, I got done speaking at an event for, um, I think it was a Southwest uh, Food and Fuel Expo, I think it was, mm-hmm. and uh, stayed an extra night and uh, rented a car and drove, drove over there. Um, I wasn't too far away. So, but I thought I'd drive up there and parked at the hotel, went over and I go in and I notice he only had a red and a white by the glass. And I'm like, well, this is kind of weird. And so I asked him about it and he goes, well, look, he goes, if you know anything about wine, you're coming here to buy a bottle. You're not coming here to drink by the glass. He goes, for everyone else, I have a red and I have a white, (laughs) which I thought was hilarious. And to be fair, um, I knew the bottles that he was selling by by the glass. Um, they were right around, you know, maybe retail price, 12 to $14. But if you know anything about wine, you know that 
not everything in that price range is comparable. Uh, there's some massive differences in quality. You've got some mass-produced garbage at that price, but you can get some actually really solid bottles at that price too. Um, and that's kind of what he had. So that was, I was like, okay, that's very well thought out. And then uh, he's like, well, fortunately for you, I've already got something set aside. Just sit down. So make a long story short, a couple of his wine buddies who are about my age ended up coming in. So after eating, I moved over to his special bar and who had a little too much to drink that night. Um, <laughs> it was a blast though. Just seriously, one of the coolest places, you know, I'm sitting there at first and he introduces me to a guy that was sitting next to me with his wife. I think it was like the mayor's golf buddy they went to high school with or something. We're just talking with them. They live down the street. They're regulars. They come there all the time. It's like their neighborhood hangout. Um, yeah. And I was sitting there eating uh, later, and he brings over some fresh chips with a, I think it was a ghost pepper and peach uh, salsa. But one of the things that I noticed is the salsa was pureed. Now, the reason that caught my attention, um, some years ago, I was in Phoenix with some people, and we went into a Mexican restaurant in a really like bad part of Phoenix. This restaurant was amazing. It was by a school that had like a barbed wire fence around it. So, mm -hmm. and, uh, we, it was actually, I was doing some training for teaching and we went there with a group of people. Anyway, uh, that salsa was pureed and a person I knew, uh, who was from there said it's pureed because that's what authentic Mexican food does is a puree, the salsa. He said, Americans do chunky salsa. He's, he's like, no, it needs to be pureed. So I noticed that Zahir pureed it, and he said something similar, too. He was just saying that uh, lazy restaurants do chunky salsa because when you fill up a container, you're putting less less in there, basically. Um, he's like, no, I always puree it. That's the only proper way. It's just the point is everything you get there is well thought out, yeah, like well beyond what you would expect at any restaurant, period. And it's in a convenience store. I mean, there's, there's an Exxon fuel canopy right outside the door. There's people coming in to buy cigarettes from behind the counter. It's... It's a convenience store. And, 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 you know, of course, my favorite thing there is the chocolate cake. I think it's the best chocolate cake in America. And um, when I was on the road doing medical projects for television, I would, when I would work in that area, I would drive over there uh, and discreetly go in and buy two pieces of chocolate cake and have that for lunch. But it was like <laughs> I was so embarrassed because I was eating nothing but chocolate cake for lunch, I didn't want anybody to know. I didn't even tell Zaheer I went because I was eating chocolate cake for lunch. But the one thing I came away from is, boy, I tell you what, if you want a filling lunch, Zaheer's chocolate cake is the way to go. It's, yeah, I think it's delicious. I think last time, I think we sent a chocolate cake home with uh, 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 Jesus after we had dinner there. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus I mean, took it home, and <laughs> I bet his kids love that. And, you know, chocolate cake, I mean, I, God, I love chocolate cake, and, uh, you know, what I love about this particular cake is that it's not overly done with chocolate, that it, that, your, that your head hurts. It is it is perfect on every level, texture, uh, you know, everything, the flavor of the chocolate. Oh, God, it's great. I, uh, it's worth it. I cannot wait till this is over. I may have to run over there and get chocolate cake. Speaking of favorite convenience stores, I've got one that you might have forgotten about that you'll like. So preface this with a short story on our... Al and I are basically as close to professional convenience store finders as you're going to find. Um, look, if we can't find a store, it probably doesn't exist. Probably not. So, but there are a few exceptions. Now, on our 2017 road trip, what I did is I put together a Google Maps overlay where I put everything of interest 
that was anywhere near that route, whether we're going or not, uh, because that's a really handy tool to have. And we ended up at this place. I had found, I caught a whiff of it on a message board. And (laughs) it was way off of the interstate in a town called Water Valley, uh, Mississippi, by this lake. This place has like a gravel forecourt. It's got one of the oldest fuel canopies, a two pumps that I've ever seen. Um, The pumps are basically ancient. It's the ones that got the arms you got to lift up on the side. And it's called Dunn's Country Store. Yeah. Now, we went in there and opened the door and... I looked at it. It's it's all seating in there. I mean, there's fishing tackle. There's fishing boots. Uh, I think the floor might have even been dirt at one point in there, right? And, and live minnows. Live minnows. <laughs> yeah. and, but I looked at Al and I said, Al, this place is literally all seating. I, I said, I bet if we came here during lunch, we wouldn't be able to get in this place. Yeah. Like, this is clearly what they do for business is they, they feed people. It's all seating in, in, in this gas station. And, uh, you know, we, we, we were having a debate prior to that about pulled pork sandwiches because your opinion, you were saying, Al, is the pulled pork sandwich is like a crutch for a lazy chef because they slather it in too much sauce instead right. of putting the focus on the meat where they should really be drawing the flavor out. And we go into Dunn's. They have their own barbecue rub. They, I think their own smoker. They, oh, they, they hit the sweet spot with just the right amount of homemade sauce but allowing the, the flavor profile on the meat to really shine through. It was honestly one of the best sandwiches I've ever had. Oh, and if you remember, what was interesting about Dunn's is they made homemade ice cream and sold homemade ice cream there, which I've oh, never so seen good. before, you know, and they had it in these styrofoam containers with a little lid on it. And, I mean, this was, th- this is like, it has to be like how stores used to be 50 years ago, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I, I mean, you're, I mean, just the tackle, the live minnows, the sounds, the smell, the great food, the great people, you know? I mean, uh, this is just a place that is a hub of this little community, and, and everything was delicious there, you know, including the homemade ice cream. You know? Oh, the ice cream was great. See, that's a big thing up here, um, especially if you get around areas where there's a lot of Amish folks. Um, mm-hmm. You get a lot of homemade homemade desserts and things like that. It's really fun. Um, in fact, that's one thing I'm going to miss about Ragbri being canceled this year. Uh, you know, it's a Redshire's annual, what was it? Redshire's annual bike ride across. Uh, anyway, it's world's oldest, longest, largest uh, recreational mm-hmm. bike ride. Um, and it's in Iowa. We get about 15,000 riders on any given day. It's a moving town that starts at one edge of the state and goes to the other side. Um, it's best best time ever. It's like Burning Man on bicycles. But Oops. it's canceled this year, obviously, because of coronavirus. But one of the things is a lot of the Amish uh, communities will come out and they'll set up at a church or wow. maybe alongside one of the roads on, you know, whatever part of the route makes the most sense for them. And they'll serve up uh, homemade pies. And Ooh, I mean, they'll, they'll, they'll have like 10 or 15 different pies with homemade ice cream. Oh, man, I got a triple berry pie last year, and I think it was like 70 miles into the ride that day, and it was hot, and get a big slice of triple berry pie <laughs> and, uh, and a couple of scoops of ice cream. It was exactly what I needed. Um, oh, I'm going to miss that this I year. I love that. I love that. And, you know, I guess it's, it's kind of the same way with Cajuns down here. What we call sweet dough pies is, you know, you'll find those, you know, uh, all around. But, now, yeah. remind me what those are. Okay, the sweet dough pie... I think they call them tarts in other parts of the country, mm. but yep. it's it's a it's a it's a dough 
that's got sugar in it. And then, of course, my favorite is the custard. They put a vanilla custard in it, but sometimes they'll put uh, sweet potato in it. Uh, they'll put, uh, you know, blackberry, things like that. But I think they're perhaps tarts, but we call them sweet dough pies here in Louisiana. We have a different name for everything. You know, so speaking of other good convenience stores, I think one of one of my favorites, you did mention the Concord General Store, which maybe we'll get into because it does have a, a fully functioning zoo at the gas station. Ah, um, I love that. But I think one that really stood out to me, in fact, I'm going to say two of them. It was Wildfire Brick Oven Pizza. Oh, yeah. And also, I would say Slice Pizza and More. So these are both in Massachusetts. Um Slice Pizza and More is north of Boston just a little bit. I want to say, was that Wakefield? Yeah, Wakefield. Um, mm-hmm. And then Slice Pizza, or sorry. And then Wildfire is in Mashpee over down by Cape Cod, a little further away from Boston. Um, these places are to die for. So the funny thing about Slice, I decided I was at the Gas Buddy office one time, and I was like, all right, I'm going to go bring some pizza back for everyone. So I called, I called an Uber this old Italian gentleman in a really high-end SUV who clearly was just bored and driving for fun, um, just moved there from L.A. And I explained that I was going to this gas station because it's supposed to have uh, authentic Italian hand-tossed pizza with family recipes. You know, they make the sauce fresh every morning. And he's like, okay, this sounds interesting. So we got in this long conversation. He gives me like the whole rundown on Italian pizza history. Uh, it was incredible. Starts getting into different types of uh, wine that you should pair with different pizzas, um, getting in just really in depth into this. And we get to the restaurant and he goes, all right. He goes, can you set your destination back to the office? Do you mind if I just come in and hang out and check this out? I'm like, oh, of course. That's yeah, by all means. So he drops me off and comes in a few moments later and he goes, you know how I know this place is as good as you said it's supposed to be? I'm like, how? He goes, look at the parking lot. He goes, everybody's here. And he's talking about the types of cars. There's high-end cars outside and there's beaters parked outside. Everybody eats at that place. That's how good it is. Um, and he wasn't kidding. That pizza completely blew me away. I took it back and we all just demolished it at the office. But then I did that another time when I went to uh, wildfire. Now I think I put you in touch with Lisa, right? Right. Um, she's cool. Uh, she, she basically, she and her husband just, I think, hit a point where they're like, what now? We're getting older. What do we do? You know, need some excitement, uh, get out of their careers. So they went to pizza school, I think it's Goodfellas in New York City. Right, yeah. And imported a, uh, found a company that imports brick ovens from Italy. Now hers is special because unlike a lot of brick ovens where you have to shuffle things around because of the heat distribution, maybe, uh, well, however they're set up, hers has an actual rotating stone that ensures consistent heat distribution. So it's easier to cook with, but it also makes incredible food. Uh, she bakes fresh bread on it. Her pizza, the thing about her, and when you meet her, you'll see if you go to the store, she's just very regimented and process-oriented. And it's amazing for what it does to the food because she leaves no detail unturned. Uh, the cheese, I think, is imported from Wisconsin. Um, everything on that pizza is made perfectly. They don't make mistakes at this place. It's, uh, it, it is quite honestly some of the best pizza I've ever encountered in my entire life. And, you know, that's, that's what you – I think that's one of the things that constantly draws you and I to these stores is there's these little magical places that, uh, that do everything the way you would expect it to be done 
in a high-end restaurant or, you know, but it's, it's a gas station and, uh, there's so much passion, you know, uh, I, uh, gosh, you know, I think of, uh, this place in West Texas called, uh, the check stop. They sell 144,000 kolaches every seven days. That's 600 kolaches every single hour. They bake 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you can get a fresh kolache at three in the morning there. And they're good. They're good. And when I asked the uh, manager who'd been there since the 80s what she attributed to, she said, eh, we just do it better, you know? And, I mean, there's... I think sometimes people don't realize how good they are where they say something, we just do it better. They can't put their finger on it, but they know they try harder and they do it better. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you find these places and it's just absolutely incredible. And the uh, the creative thinkers like Kid Couch up in Bend, you oh, know, he... Yeah. Um, each year after the Knack show, Kent and his wife take a trip somewhere to see what's going on in the sea store business. And uh, so they went to Thailand, and he told me, he said, there were people cooking Thai food in big woks on the street. So he bought a big wok, and he's going to start doing pad thai. And I saw, he sent me a picture. It's called Tied Up. Get it? T-H-A-I-D, apostrophe, you know, T-H-A-I, about Tied Up. I mean, oh, you know, man. that's just so clever. And you, you run into these people all the time who are always looking for a new way to uh, keep customers interested, to keep them coming in. And I, I don't know. I just can't believe people drive by these places and don't stop and eat, you know, because there's some great, great stuff out there. You know, and kind of kind of to your to your point that you brought up earlier, I, I think um, – Maybe the thing that I've really enjoyed so much about working in this industry, though, is um, having the opportunity to actually try to help people. Um, it, it's, oh, yeah. you know, I'm a former teacher. I I guess I, even though that isn't what my original plan was to be a teacher, you know, uh, I didn't study education. It was through Teach for America. But I, I know the feeling of like helping, how good it feels to help somebody figure something out. And the thing that I keep seeing consistently throughout um, all the data that I have access to look at too, and what I normally do at Gas Buddy, uh, what I see anecdotally as we travel around. And it's just when you can create a retail environment that does have that passion, that has that powerful brand, that um, that is something special, it's, it's a really cool thing. Um, it's, you know, I think it's easy for a lot of folks to they get trapped in uh, or just bogged down in the processes of their job and the uh, corporate culture and um, really just trying to survive within the corporate culture and maybe move up a little bit or do what they got to do. And you start playing a game that is divorced from how do I excite customers? And you kind of lose that. And you see this at some of these um, stores that you go to, like, you know, we're talking about stores that are great here, but what about the ones that aren't great? You go there and you feel just this lack of excitement and care and passion about the business that bleeds through down to the individual store level. And, uh, you know, the, to the degree that I, I can help people stop doing that, that's, you know, long-term something that I really enjoy doing. It's, it's, it's fun. Um, it's fun to help people figure something out and do it better. I, I mean, you know, that's been a passion for me. I've gone through and I've <laughs> downloaded like all the old academic research on this. It turns out that people were researching um, the importance of customer experience on, you know, the bottom line way back in the early 1970s. Um, if you study, uh, 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 here comes a speech impediment, uh, uh, design thinking, 
Design thinking is a fantastic process for helping people identify where they are falling short and what they can do to uh, bring themselves back to to a better place. It's 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 just such a fun topic. It it really is. And you're right. You go in these stores and you can just feel the passion inside. And people forget retail can be a lot of fun. Retail can be so much fun. Um, but yeah, it's. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think Kid Couch articulated it pretty well is that he was working in the grocery business, wanted to stay in the grocery business, got in the C-store business and realized he had so much independence and autonomy and fun in the C-store business because, you know, Frank, if you if individual owners, uh, they have the ability to try something for a week. If it doesn't work, boom, it's out of there and they got something else filling that space on the shelf. And I've heard that so many times. One of my favorite stories is is actually from the check stop where the manager had gone to a uh, another store and they had peanut butter and jelly sandwiches 30 miles away. And she said, the uh, the manager of the store said, we can't keep these things. You know, they're flying off the shelves. People love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They, she goes back to her store. It takes them two weeks. They find the perfect blend of peanut butter. And they bake all the bread. For each of the sandwiches, they bake a special bread. So they, des- they they come up with a special bread. They make the perfect peanut butter and jelly sandwich. They put it on these shelves, and no one buys it. <laughs> and in two weeks, it was gone. They could not sell peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Which is uh, What's amazing about this business is that these two stores were 30 miles apart. And you would think there can't be that much difference in the customers, especially in Central Texas. Mm-hmm. And, and and there there is. And so, you know, one of the things you find is and and is these these folks know their market. They know their community. They know what's gonna sell. You know, uh, you could probably sell grilled chicken sandwiches all day long in Austin, Texas, but in Cajun country, you're not gonna sell a lot of them. We want that chicken fried and maybe some gravy on it. Well, I think Kent had made the same point. It was either boiled peanuts or fried peanuts. Um, right. You yeah. know, I think he went down south and encountered some of those. And and I get it. Uh, if you drive around the south and you find a roadside vendor doing boiled peanuts, please stop and please buy them. They are going to be amazing, especially yeah. the ones that are soaked in uh, or boiled in uh, water infused with Cajun spices. It'll burn your mouth off, but it'll... <laughs> It'll be worth the pain, trust me. Um, but I can see how you would encounter a food like that and think, man, I'm going to bring that back to my store because it is good and it just doesn't take. Um, the, to your point, though, I, I think the real, the real uniting factor between all these successful independents that I've seen, um, it's often just the community. You know, they, they build the store with the community in a weird way. Um, it's like Papu's Cafe in Kansas City. Yeah. Um, make a very long story short. I mean, that, that guy can cook anything. He is, he's one of those chefs that just knows like he's the best. You, you can tell it when you talk to him, like it's in his attitude that this insane level of confidence because he is so good at what he does. Um, so how do you decide what to do? He would just make samples of all sorts of different ethnic food and let his customers try it. And what he ended up going with is what was popular with them, what they liked the most. It's just, but he needed to figure that out first. Yeah, and that that's a process. For sure, it's a process. Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I think of uh, well, you know, speaking of that, you know, Kent Couch. After one of the the NAC shows, he came to New Orleans and he he discovered crawfish and beignets. Beignets, <laughs> I mean, huge deal here. Crawfish, you know, we love crawfish here, and took it back to Bend, Oregon, and and couldn't sell either of them. And, you know, the crawfish were way too spicy for the folks there. They didn't like it. And the beignets, he said, there's such great donuts in Ben. No one wanted beignets. And, and ah, I've got to tell you, I had boiled crawfish two weeks ago 
from a local gas station in Abbeville, Louisiana. Best crawfish I've ever had. Gas station crawfish, incredibly good. Really? Uh, a place called the Maxi Mart uh, here in Abbeville. Somehow they have got a knack. You know, a crawfish is a crustacean, and you pour the seasoning in the water. And a lot of times the seasoning is on the shell, but it doesn't penetrate to the tail meat, which is, you know, it's crawfish are like a, a tiny lobster. Mm -hmm. And somehow, I don't know whether it's voodoo or what, but these people <laughs> got the seasoning into the tail. It was incredible. Maxi Mart crawfish. Uh, it's, you know, if, if it takes you a few days to drive here, you should drive and eat these things because they are absolutely incredible. You know. you know that I actually though kind of leads into something I was I thought it'd be fun to talk about uh, as we start ending out though. Um, what do you what do you think the new normal is going to look like for fuel and convenience after this? I mean, because we're talking about food service, but we all know uh, COVID nineteen has just just decimated the restaurant industry. Um, I mean, it it really has. I I'll make a few observations here from just everything that I've been seeing. One, so all the data I followed has really suggested that. Um, the real dividing line between the winners and losers here are companies that had pivoted prior to COVID-19 into curbside pickup delivery and maybe third-party delivery. I say maybe because the third-party delivery companies take an outrageous amount of money from orders. Um, but the point is, if the only channel to access your store was physically present at the store in front of a cash register – that's a real tough sell right now during COVID-19, especially for restaurants when a lot of them can't do on-premise dining. So um, I know Pizza Hut has done, seems to have done fairly well. I mean, Domino's, I haven't looked at their stock in the last week, but <laughs> Domino's stock went up during this, I thought, last time I looked. Um, there's some companies that are doing doing fine, but a lot that are struggling. So I think with C-stores, as you look at what the new normal may look like for food service, um, that's a tough question. One thing that's been on my mind a lot lately is I went through drive through this morning. This is just an example of it. Uh, since everyone's wearing masks, one of the people had on a surgical mask. I don't know about you, but a surgical surgical masks make me, they have an ick factor associated mm -hmm. with them. They, they look dirty. They look too medical. They look, um, it doesn't look app. It doesn't create an appetizing environment. Um, Nothing, nothing about that makes me relaxed and wanting to eat and enjoy an experience. And I, I've seen as Iowa started to reopen some things around here, um, what some of these restaurants have done for preparations. And everything they're describing is it's overly sanitized to the point where, like, I can't relax in a sterile room and enjoy a glass of wine and some food. Like, that just right. sounds that sounds gross. It sounds unsafe. Um I, I, I'm trying to think of the right words to use for this. All I can think of is it just has an ick factor. You know what I mean, yeah. though? Yeah, I, exactly. I, I, now, yeah. I know there's going to be uh, some certain types of people that are going to rush right back into this because you can't tell me to stay at home and I'm going to go eat at that restaurant. But I don't think that's the average person. I, I just don't. I, I, think, I think those are outliers. I think the average person, um, they just want to feel safe in there. Um, and I just, yeah, it's really yeah. hard to say. I I, uh, I just I just texted you a photo I took at Bourbon Street Deli in Abbeville, Louisiana yesterday, and you can see how far apart the tables are. Now that's that's our our new the the way we can eat in a restaurant now here in South Louisiana, uh, but it's only outdoors, and the tables are uh, those tables are about ten fifteen feet apart. So 
I, I have a sense that when we're able to eat in restaurants again, the tables will be very far apart. The challenge for restaurants will be is with less tables in the same amount of square feet, how do you price your food? How do you make money? How do you, you know, you're not going to be able to have the same volume because if your tables are spaced, if you've got one table in a space where you used to have two tables, think about you're, you're not, you're not going to be able to have the same profit margin you had before. So the question is, do you go up on your food? Uh, how are they going to do it? And, and I don't know that, I don't know that anybody's got an answer yet about how this is going to look. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at that photo and see how far apart those tables are, and, and you've been in the Bourbon Street delis, uh, imagine you have one table every 10 feet. Well, you know, you might have four tables in a Bourbon Street deli. And uh, at least the one in Abbeville, I'm thinking, maybe you'd have space for four tables in there. And so you're not going to have the same amount of people eating there. The question is, is customers... Are customers embracing the the uh, you know the taking it and leaving and eating it somewhere else? I, I don't know. I don't know if customers are embracing that. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't know if anyone's really got this figured out at this point. I I think the real hallmark of COVID nineteen is just this mass sense of uncertainty. You know, we we all are trying to figure out just what the hell's going on. Um, I mean, this took all of us by surprise. It's it's just completely just came out of nowhere, it seems like. But I, you know, I'm looking at this photo and look, I'm, I'm never going to knock any of these restaurants for, for trying to figure out how to survive. Because uh, honestly, my heart goes out to them. This is this is a horrible situation to be dealing with um, for them and their employees. But, you know, this, this whole thing about six feet, like this is not a magical number that somehow prevents right. a transmission of this thing. I mean, if someone starts coughing, I guarantee you that's going to go a little further than six feet. Um, not to mention, you know, if uh, if you're in a tight enclosed area and that starts get, getting circulated around um, like an airplane or something, uh, it's just not a good idea. Um, but I guess as I look at this, part of me also thinks maybe it's a good thing that uh, tables have to be spaced out apart because I don't know about you, but I was getting really irritated with some restaurants that pack their tables together so tightly that I couldn't oh, yeah. really be in there in the first place. Like, you know, I've told this story before, but my wife and I, we were in Portland, Portland, Maine. On a recommendation, we went to this restaurant. Uh, I'll, just, I'll just name it Scales because I've left him a horrible review on Google. <laughs> I'm happy to name these people. Scales, if you're listening, you suck. Um, <laughs> actually, their food is really good. That's a sad thing. The food's phenomenal. Phenomenal. But we go inside at 5 o'clock because um, – you know, we know it's going to get busy and we, and we're kind of hungry now. So, and we're going to go see a movie. So let's go eat. Restaurant's pretty much empty, just opened. They have some really nice, uh, four, four top tables over by the windows. We're on vacation. I want to sit by the window and look at Portland, Maine. I don't live there. They wouldn't sit us there. They wanted to put us at these little two top tables that I mean, Uh. literally were like, um, like any Chinese, like Chinese restaurant in Des Moines where they just pack them in. And I don't blame them if they do it at a restaurant like that, but I'm, this is like a very, very upscale restaurant. I'm like, I don't want to be sitting four feet from somebody where I can hear their conversation on their first date. Oh yeah. I'm not paying for that. Um, and they refused to move us over because they said, well, uh, we save those for larger groups. I'm like, are they reserved? They're not. I guarantee you they won't be full when I leave, you know, but still they, 
they wouldn't do it. Um, I have a real problem with restaurants that do things like that, that try to pack you oh, so yeah. tightly into there because, and then try to burn and turn those tables as quickly as possible. So I have to take a step back and look at this and think, okay, it's not just that. It's some of these coffee shops. Uh, they, they pack you in their practice. Some of them just get rid of the uh, smaller tables and put these big community tables in that are even more. Oh, I hate those. I, hate I do those. too. I don't want to sit around other people. I'm there to not sit around other people. So here's the thing. Maybe that's a positive that comes out of this, that instead of using packing people in as tightly as humanly possible and making that a crutch, maybe they're going to have to figure out another way to, to make money. Um, maybe it's going to have to be pushing off-premise dining a lot heavier. Um, I don't know what the answer is for that, but I'm not convinced that that's altogether a horrible thing. Um, and as we take a step back and look at it, do we really miss, do we really miss that? I don't miss going to places that did that. I, I totally agree. I don't miss going to places like that either. I, um, now the bourbon street deli is a whole different scenario, obviously. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious to see how it works for them. I, I have seen, I mean, they've done a lot of advertisements lately, I've, I've you know, on Facebook and, um, just, a, I mean, a lot of marketing around their, their food. So hopefully their off-premise dining <clears throat> is working well for them because yeah, it's, I, it's good food. I think they've been doing okay with that. I tell you what, Kent Couch, I go back to Kent over in Bend, Oregon at the, uh, at the Shell over there. Uh, he, he got into this pretty quick. He had to buy a vehicle, had to get it marked. So he started doing delivery himself. And he said he's doing about $1,000 a day delivery now. Oh, wow. Which is, okay. yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So uh, it adds he, up. Yeah. yeah, it does add up. So he's doing well. Of course, the economy in Bend, Oregon is really good. Um, and uh, it, it's a different, you know, Frank, this pandemic is different in every single state. And uh, so there's no, there's no, there's no national average, I guess. It, I mean, it's different here than it is in Iowa and it's different in Bend, Oregon than it is in, uh, in Louisiana. So I don't know. I think, I think this, you know, when you talk about unknowns, you're so right. I, I had talked to a cardiologist a couple of weeks ago, and at least at that point, he said, almost all the information we have right now has come from China, and we don't trust China. So uh, we're trying to figure this out on our own here in America without, you know, uh, because, you know, the Chinese are, have found uh, they're untrustworthy. So uh, it's, it's going to... I mean, it's going to be a while before we get a hold on this. And then, you know, uh, they're predicting that it's going to come back with the regular flu uh, in the fall and winter. So then you'll have the flu to deal with and COVID-19. And as you know, with the flu, the reason our flu vaccines are different every year, because each year the mm -hmm. flu virus mutates. So the question will be is, will the COVID-19 virus mutate and throw us into a whole different situation come this winter? So I, th I think we're far from being out of the woods now. So... I think it's a good idea for C-stores uh, to, you know, uh, prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Yeah. You know, and with, with the restaurants, I, I think one thing I would like to see come out of this, hopefully, is um, I hope some of the laws that have been rolled back, especially around um, alcohol, oh, yeah. will be a little bit more favorable to restaurants moving forward. Because here's the thing, like, all right. My wife and I got a restaurant we really like in downtown Des Moines that always has like top quality bartenders. Um, they, 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 they hire people whose like hobby is bartending, yeah. you know, who are passionate about it. Um, I don't see any reason why I shouldn't be able to um, have an order delivered from them. And maybe they uh, have some really cheap plastic snap top containers or something uh, 
measured out of all the different ingredients for a cocktail with a little, you know, what looks like a handwritten note that they've printed off or something with instructions, something kind of cool. Uh, you know, you might do for a date night, order in a few of those, ship them in, put them in my shaker, mix them up, and I yeah. have a cocktail that tastes like what they make. Well, why why can't they do that now? It's because Iowa's alcohol laws are stupid. I, I mean, there's, seriously, there's no reason for that to be there unless it protects someone else's interest in uh, siphoning money out of uh, the process, usually some sort of a middleman, some sort of a company. Yeah. Um, there's no reason why bars shouldn't be able to do that. It doesn't protect public safety in, in any sort of way. Alcohol is the easiest thing to acquire out there. It's it's so simple. High schoolers can get it whenever they want it. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, the point is, it, it's just, it's not going to change anyone's it's not going to change anyone's life or the worse if a bar can ship you some some drinks. Now, our bars have been doing to-go um, over here because they need a way to make money uh, during this crisis. So the restaurants can do it. The bars can do it. But that kind of stuff needs to stay in place. Like, we need to just relax a little bit. And, uh, I mean, if I was ordering food from this place and I, and I wanted to make a drink and realized I'm out of a bottle of something, why can't I pay a much higher markup than the grocery store for convenience and just get it shipped with my food? It's... These, these places need more lifelines to be able to make money uh, because I think a lot of people are going to be incredibly nervous to go back and sit physically in a restaurant and eat food until there's a vaccine for this or they can, with all reasonable doubt, not have to worry about it. Yeah, I think the vaccine is going to be, be the key here. And, uh, but you're right. And Louisiana just changed its liquor laws at the end of last year. So uh, companies, uh, apps like Drizzly could be used mm-hmm. uh, and... Uh, you know, uh, talk to the folks at uh, Bourbon Street Deli and Tobacco Plus. Uh, their deliveries are up 40%, you know, which is pretty cool. And uh, their tobacco sales are up quite a bit as well. So, you know, people tend to smoke a little more when they're nervous and uh, certainly drink a little more because they need to relax. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think it's a good idea for these states to take a look at their liquor laws and uh, I think it's going to be a win for everybody because, you, know, you know, people aren't driving. They aren't going anywhere. I think more than anything, though, I think the big takeaway for me around COVID so far, at least from the retail perspective, has been it's <clears throat> I've been kind of using the analogy of a forest fire. Um, I'm sure I'm not the first one to pull this analogy out, so I'm not going to pretend that this is mine. But um, and again, I only took a few environmental science classes, so feel yeah. free to criticize my interpretation of a forest fire all you would like. But uh, I like this analogy because, all right, forest fires, uh, even even a, a good forest has dead trees. Um, it, cl- it clears off the waste. It allows for sunlight to reach the forest floor, promotes new growth. In fact, there's some trees actually that, uh, I mean, their seeds literally are activated by fire. Mm-hmm. So it's it's destructive, but it promotes positive growth. Now, you look at what's happening in retail right now. If you take a step back out of fuel and convenience, look at uh, look at department stores and uh, you know, com- J.C. Penney's, Macy's, places like this. Look, these companies were dying before COVID nineteen. I mean, they were on life support a long time ago. They were already sinking ships. Um, this is going to speed that along. Um, Neiman Marcus, I think they were doing a little well before then, but I don't I don't know. I mean, I've always thought they're silly. Nine hundred fifty dollar hoodies printed on cheaper cotton than stuff I buy for <laughs> eighty bucks. Give me a break. Um, but a lot of these companies that are going away from this are companies that were really struggling prior. So it's speeding along certain trends. We look at fuel and convenience. 
I mean, for years, folks have been saying we need delivery, we need curbside pickup, we, we need order ahead on an app, like we need to be more tech forward. We're increasing our tech debt as as an industry, and it's and it's going to come due in a few years. COVID-19 has accelerated that so rapidly. Companies that drug their feet suddenly within days, if not a week or two, were putting systems in place. Maybe they're not ironed out, but they're in place. Those options are there because, you know, we've looked at companies like GoPuff. Wow, that's really interesting that they're doing that. And yeah, but like this industry needs to be doing that too. Um, you know, I don't particularly want to go in a large grocery store during this. My wife has asthma and is high risk. We haven't gone to a store since early March, but I'd feel a lot safer if I could have a convenience store deliver something to me. They already have yeah. the proximity to customers. There's no reason why this industry should not have its have its hat in delivery. Um, so, but that's happening now. That's 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 totally happening. So that's a positive development. But I think some of these restaurants, honestly are just trying to pretend that they can go back to what it was before COVID-19. But like, that's probably not going to happen. Like, let's take a step back and look. Uh, was it really safe, given how bad the flu was anyway, that we were sitting this close to people and coughing all over the restaurant? And no, it wasn't. Um, maybe it's opened our eyes to the fact that we can't do that. Um, so however, however we move forward, I don't know. Trying to think of the positive side of this because I don't know about you, but I am uh, I'm getting very tired of all the negativity that's spread around. Yeah, I, 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 the positive side maybe places are going to be cleaner. You know? Oh, hundred percent. We've you you and I both have pressed that message hard the past couple of years. I mean, I think most of the presentations I've done over the last two and a half years have all been focused around customer experience, um, cleanliness, of course, being a huge part. I mean, we look at data at Gas Buddy showing that. Uh, I mean, stations with above average cleanliness ratings are driving significantly more traffic pre-COVID um, over the last few years than their below average competitors. People care about this stuff. Yeah, they do. And and the other thing, too, is uh, I'm seeing C-stores do some really interesting things for the employees. You know, you're talking about the pay, but uh, one of the other things, too, is uh, Bourbon Street Deli. They're doing fun things like they celebrated Mardi Gras all over again. And they, oh, really? Uh, had uh, funny sock day and they had dress up day and they're just trying to do things to kind of lighten the load for the employees by making it fun. And uh, they had pajama day. And I've got a great picture of uh, one of their employees who's a, a guy with a beard, but he's got his hair up in curlers. And uh, so they're doing fun stuff for the employees. Um, the other thing I, I think, uh, if you check the Bourbon Street Deli uh, Facebook page, they had one of their employees in the St. Martinville store test positive. And one of the big mm -hmm. questions, I, I'd never even thought about this, but what happens when one of your employees tests positive? How do you handle this? And I think, uh, you know, if, if you own a C-Store, you're listening to this show, take a look at that. Because in a nutshell, what they essentially did, what they, essentially did they got in front of it, let everybody know, so, uh, let everyone know on social media, hey, we had someone test positive. We've closed the store. We have uh, completely sprayed the store down. Uh, you know, the, the, the whole thing. And I think that, uh, you know, we, we focus a lot on not making sure no one gets it, but what, what do we do when someone does have it? How do we handle that PR-wise? And I thought they did a beautiful job of that, uh, handling a, a, what, a very bad situation uh, by getting ahead of it and letting people know, being very transparent. So uh, I think we're going to, I think we're going to see a lot more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I've actually, like I said, I've been really impressed um, with how this channel in general has handled COVID-19. Um, so many retailers are not just, not just um, 
you know, increasing their pay temporarily, but they're reaffirming, um, yeah, if you guys get this, like, you're going to be okay, take the time off, um, you know, making sure that they're comfortable doing that and they're able to do that. Um, giving back to their communities, doing a lot for first responders too. Um, you know, I wrote an article recently about what a lot of the convenience retailers in Canada have done. And a number of them did some really cool things for truckers, especially, you know, truckers are one of those jobs that are kind of a, kind of an invisible person, um, that no one pays attention to. And they're having trouble because, you know, they can't drive a semi through a QSR drive through. Mm -hmm. Um, but they can't go in some of these places to get food either. Sometimes the public restrooms are closed down and they won't let them in. Um, they're, some of them are having a hard time with this. And so it's nice to see some of the uh, truck stop brands like really going above and beyond and stuff from free showers, uh, deals on food, free food, whatever. Um, just trying to help them out. That's, that's really cool to see. Yeah. Makes, yeah. makes, makes me feel good as a consumer too. I'd, I'd much rather shop somewhere that does things like that at the end of the day. You know, I, I ran a survey um, about a month, actually about four weeks, th- three, four weeks ago. Um, about 17,000 drivers and found uh, <laughs> one of the questions I put in there was, all right, gave them all the things that fuel and convenience retailers are doing during COVID-19. All right. What basically what resonates with you on a scale of zero to five, five being, uh, you know, most and zero being least. I asked the question better than that, but I'm just summarizing. Anyway, um, so when I get a sense of what resonates, well, because of the volume of responses, I was able to really get it, get into different age groups and see what resonated with them increased. Well, first off, more frequent cleaning and disinfecting was a clear winner across the board. That's what people were looking for. However, it was interesting to see that 18 to 24 year olds and 25 to 34 year olds, uh, increased pay for employees and paid time off for employees was almost the top response. Both. I mean, both of those were almost a top response. They, their weighted average was almost as high as cleaning. And I think it shows younger customers are really sensitive to how you take care of your employees because maybe they've been in that situation. Maybe they are in that situation. They're just closer to that situation and they're sensitive to it. So um, I think that's something to be said about this industry that's really positive. Um, and it makes me happy that I'm able at least to work in it. Yeah, me too. I got to tell you, it, it's I, it seems like everybody's trying to do things right. And uh, of course, I focused on this. I don't know how other parts of the of the economy are doing, and what what other uh, you know you know uh, other uh, other industries are doing. But man, I got to tell you, uh, every day I'm looking at uh, uh, Facebook pages of people I've written about, places I've visited, and it looks like everybody's you know really trying to uh, do the right thing and be good citizens about this. And that's the thing. I I would like to think that overall, that's really the story here. Um, I got to pick on the news for a little bit. Sorry, Al. <laughs> That's you okay. You know, business, but we need to be kicked around sometimes. And trust me, I'm fully aware of sometimes when I say I'm going to pick on the news that what I'm really doing is criticizing all of us because yeah. the news is the news is just like food companies. They're gonna they're gonna produce what sells. Look, if, right. I mean, if everybody wanted to eat celery and peanut butter all day every day, uh, then you know what? For everyone who complains about some of the things I won't mention in the food industry, those would not be problems, but people buy it. So um, anyway, same same with news. But the thing that kind of irritates me is, my God, we do allow outliers to control the conversation. It's like when this all started, all right, you can have, there was a couple, I think a couple ladies in Australia fighting over toilet paper in one of their grocery stores. So that video gets recorded and pretty soon, you know, give it a day or two, it's on basically every 
news website. People are fighting for toilet paper. Well, hold on a second. Are they really fighting for toilet paper? Or are we just broadcasting a video that happened halfway across the world because it's so easy to get instantaneous access to crazy people at any given time now? Um, I mean, like those ladies, those are probably the same people that get in fights at Denny's and public public freakout videos on YouTube. Like, those are just idiots. <laughs> like that's not indicative of people right now. I'm sure tensions are higher, and yeah, and people are a little irked and trying to get toilet paper. But that's not. They're making generalizations off of outliers, and the thing is, a lot of people I don't know if they quite know how to draw this distinction and realize that they watch the news and they think that that's just what's happening, um, but it's not. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's worse than I'm thinking. But I would like to. Uh, take a little bit more, more of a positive view on this and think that people are, people are trying to get through this. And at the end of the day, it's going to bring out some, some of the, you know, some better things in us. Wait, yeah, no doubt. Because, you know, one of the things, and I, I yell at uh, uh, reality TV all the time because it, it's not real. You know, it's, it's, it's often pretty much scripted, at least loosely scripted. And there's some <laughs> producer standing there making people do things they would never do. So I think you're right. You, you, we do see a lot of outliers out there who are not representative of the culture, but that seems to be what uh, a lot of media outlets like to show. I mean, the, the, it's the worst of us. And we really rarely see the best of us, you know? And uh, I mean, but I have this problem with Twitter too, because look, I, I mean, all right. That stuff. All right, let's take the let's take these protesters uh, that have been going around and uh, open it back up, you know, and they walk into the state house oh, yeah. or whatever with their guns and stuff. Look again, these these people are just idiots. Like they're just the loudest voices in the room. Um, they're not representative of <laughs> hardly anybody. Um, there's not even that many of them there in the first place. Like it's like all right. If 30 people, 40 people, even 100 or 200 go go in and do something stupid, it can very quickly be turned into like a national news piece and used to control the conversation. And really, this isn't even a big group of people. Um, I mean, yeah, I guess it's newsworthy. But the point is, like, again, folks engage with this content. Go on Twitter and see how many people are going to share videos of that and think of the the hardest hitting negative thing they can say about that because they want to get likes and they want to get engagement and they want to get retweets on their own account. Right. You know, it's not as simple as just blaming the news. We all engage with this and it's tempting. When I saw stuff like that, I wanted to put it on social media and say some snide snarky comment. uh, So everyone, Hey, look how witty that was. I'm going to click and like it. But then I remembered, I pretty much have like a zero tolerance on any of my social media accounts for political content. Mm-hmm. The most I'll do is like something. I won't post about it. I don't just don't want to go down that road. It's there's no winning. Um, so I don't know. I'd, I'd like to focus on the positive, which, you know, as we kind of end out, um, we got into this 10th episode talking about our own bizarre, strange backgrounds and how we <laughs> yeah. end up having a unique hobby <laughs> or interest with convenience stores. Um, so I think it might be good to look at what are some of the things that we've learned? What are some of our takeaways? And, you know, I'll tell you with my story, the one thing I'll share, because I, I think it's at least somewhat relevant to um, the whole COVID-19 situation, at least I would like to think, is that, you know, I've tried to process this. It's a very weird thing to when someone asks, like, how'd you get into doing what you're doing? And you have like a 30 minute story about a crazy diet experiment 
and trying to get out of a job you hated. Like, it's not like I went to college for this. It's not like, if anything, my college degree has been worth absolutely nothing in my professional career. It was a complete waste of money, which is sad because I actually learned a lot. It made me a better writer, better researcher. Um, I actually got a lot of benefit from it, but no one has really seemed to care. So I had to do this on my own. I think the biggest takeaway that I've had is, and why people don't fight to get out of a situation they hate, is because comfort in the familiar and what you know just keeps you from doing anything. I mean, people are stuck in stasis because it's comfortable. Even if you hate where you're at, even if you want out bad, just having something that's familiar, even if it's not good, can be extremely comforting. Um, you know, I, I had this one dinner I went to at an event. Uh, the person who sponsored my speech and paid for that, uh, he, well, his company did it. He, he's literally like a multi-billionaire. Uh, we went to dinner at this guy's house. It's a private, on a man-made island, I think, out in Newport Beach. Um, I think the house was put on the market recently for over $60 million. And we're having dinner, a group of us at this house. And someone had, we were having a, talk amongst us, uh, some, some folks there. And one of the guys had said, how, how do you think this guy did this? Because he had kids when he did it. He had like, he wasn't just like a single dude when he made all his money. And someone said a comment I won't forget. They said, I'll tell you why they go. You take a middle-aged guy with a couple kids who has a job that pays a really good salary. There is like, that is a closest thing to crack to a person like that, that you can find. That, that, that will stop them from ever doing anything outside of the ordinary. And it's true. Comfort breeds stasis. I, and I've seen this in my own life uh, as I've like gone out of where I was and got more comfortable. And I started noticing, wait, why, why aren't I doing X, Y, and Z anymore? Well, I could go play a video game now. I have a high-end computer. You know, I mean, There's all these other things that you can do. Um, I don't know. That's, that's just been one of the lessons I've learned and, I, and I'm still struggling with. It's just realizing that um, I think comfort is the single biggest barrier to doing anything extraordinary um, because there's a lot of fear associated with it. And when you do take that leap, you are going to get some social pressure to stop um, because sometimes when you try to change your situation, other people that are even indirectly tied to it, they take your your fight to get out of it as a, as like a uh, as an indictment against them as a person. Like you're saying they're not good enough. Um, so I, I guess to tie that back to COVID-19, um, there's a lot of industries that have been comfortable for a while. Yeah. Suddenly they're not. So, you know, look, how, how they come out of this may look different than how they went into it, but the strong are going to survive. And it's time to get really creative and think, how can I get in front of customers? Like, how, what can I do differently to make money? Because, I don't know, the new normal may be very different than it was three months ago. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, 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 this world won't be the same. And you know what? Customers are not going to be the same either. That's what's going to dictate what's done in this industry is, is what, what will be the new expe- expectation of C-Store customers. You know, are they still going to want to go in and get coffee and a donut and have a chat with the lady behind the, the, the counter? Uh, you know, that's one of those things, Frank. I don't know if that's going to go away, but I don't think it's going to come back anytime soon. You know, I had a guy in Florida once say, he reminds his employees every day that the only smile that customer may get that morning may be from you behind that counter. 
and uh, because they've got a job they don't like, they may have a spouse they don't like, and so the only person who says a kind word is the person in the C-store. You know, and I suppose my big takeaway from uh, all that I have seen since I've been uh, doing this crazy gas station gourmet thing is, gosh, it's the entrepreneurial spirit of these individual store owners. Uh, I, I think these guys are like the cowboys. You know, these guys, uh, they go in every day and they make it happen in spite of everything that's going on around them. They try new things. If they don't work, they, uh, they'll shoot from the hip and just, boom, it's out of there. And so every day these guys struggle uh, and often compete against, uh, you know, the big corporate giants. You know, the people out there who have 56,000 stores across the planet, things like that. And they're sitting there with one little store, yet have the confidence to know they can't be beaten by the big boys. And I, I find that absolutely inspirational. Yeah, and to your point, I think it's just worth remembering that times of crisis um, really do breed opportunity. It's like, I'm not one of these people that thinks this new normal is going to be some total doom and gloom scenario. No, things will be fine after this. It, but look, it may it, better, it may be a little different. Um, whatever the new retail paradigm looks like, every independent owner out there right now has an opportunity to help define what that's going to be and what that's going to look like. Right. Um, it's going to require some experimentation. I mean, like if anyone follows Anthony Perini's accounts on social media, uh, our, one of our past guests, I, I mean, they're trying, they're trying all kinds of stuff. Um, but they're still providing that like neighborhood, um, just neighborhood convenience store feel that they're known for so much. Even around Easter, they were telling people, stay in your cars out of, out of the pumps. Yeah. So we'll have the Easter bunny walking around the forecourt so the kids can at least see it when you come fill up for gas. It's just little things like that. Um, but look, uh, whatever, yeah, to your point, whatever the new future looks like, it's it's definitely it's definitely the time to get creative and, and, and start trying new things. Um, what it was three months ago is probably... That's that's a different time now. Yeah, yeah, and we just all got to, uh, you know, Frank and I will be watching and waiting to see what happens, and we'll tell you about it. That's the cool thing about listening to this podcast. You know, you may well, not have time to go to a conference or a meeting, but you can sit there and listen to Frank and I. Well, Al, at least you're not the airline gourmet. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> because that would be a really tough time right now. Oh gosh, would it? Oh jeez, <laughs> man, that's a whole other show. It's going to happen to the airlines. I mean, I'm you know I'm a big dr- a fan of driving because I like to stop at every C store and truck stop along the way. But I got to tell you, man, these airlines they're going to have some problems. With, you know. Well, and one thing I'll say as we end out here, assuming uh, our listeners decided to listen through all two hours of this podcast, and <laughs> did, thank you, um, or jumped in at the end when you saw the timestamp and wanted to hear about something. Um, hey, look, reach out on social media. Let us know if you're interested. I know we're all holed up in our homes right now, um, not having as much social interaction. If you're interested in doing a happy hour over Zoom and just grabbing a few drinks with us. Reach out, let us know. It'd be kind of fun to meet some of our listeners, and I'm happy to schedule that and put it together. And honestly, we might look at doing that soon. But send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and let us know. Um, Or if you have our emails personally, feel free to reach out as well. And look, if there's something you want to hear about, you know, if there's uh, something you're curious about, you can't find the information online, there's a good chance Frank and I have experienced it somewhere in some place, on some highway, some street, somewhere in America, you know, Frank and I have been there. Yeah, we've definitely been to our fair share, <laughs> fair yeah. share of, of retailers, that's for sure. Oh, God, yes. 
Well, it's our 10th episode. This was fun. And maybe it was uh, may- fun. Maybe episode 20, we'll do another chat like this. Oh, this is great. Well, Frank, is, uh, is, you're a lot of fun, Frank. I'm so glad we, uh, we met and we've had a chance to travel. And we get a chance to talk about uh, one of the most interesting businesses in, in the world, the sea store industry.